How's it going, Steve? Oh, so good. It's I feel like it's the tail end of winter out here in Western North Carolina, but it's nice. feeling it's feeling a little bit like spring's right around that corner. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, yeah re- so I'm feeling good. Nice. And we recently had a uh, daylight savings time, right? Daylight saving. I keep from miss- messing yeah. that up. It's daylight saving, well, right? And it's not plural. I mean, it's <laughs> it's meant to mess you up. It, it's definitely disorienting. <laughs> it you know, yeah. all of us are kind of like, like I got terrible sleep last night, so I might be a little, uh-huh. pun- a little punchy on this episode. So we'll see how it okay. goes. Okay, sweet. All right. Well, we got a lot to get into, mm. and um, yeah, shall we get into the quick cuts? Here we go. Quick cuts. Quick cuts. Perfect. Mm. All right. So, what have you been watching lately, Steve? Have you been seeing anything new? Um, the last thing I saw with the kids on Disney Plus, um, uh, and the new animated movie, Turning Red. So oh just, man, I still haven't seen it, but yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it looks like it's set somewhere between Japan and China. Maybe it's like it's like uh, I thought it was Toronto. Like that oh, was the thing. You're that, right. Yeah, a lot of Canadians made a big deal about. Right. It it is in Toronto, yeah. but it's like a Chinese uh, mm-hmm. immigrant family. But it's set in 2002, which is kind of an interesting choice for an animated film. So there's no cell phone. Well, there's no smartphones. Yeah. But and it's set in the middle of the boy band craze. And that's kind of a <laughs> yeah. big part of the, the movie is a, it's a group of kids or they really want to go see the boy band that's coming into town called Four Town, but there's five of them. <laughs> and um and and then yeah, some antics pursue and uh we, we really enjoyed it. The girls were laughing at all the silly parts and mom and I mm-hmm. were were raising our eyebrows at all the 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 questionable you know parts that were a little ahead of where our <laughs> girls are at okay. but 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 uh overall like yeah it was you know just they they've done it again they've made another just great family movie where there's not really a villain it's kind of a, everyone has to work together and it's kind of dealing with your own inner demons your own inner emotional world i feel like that's been a big theme the last 10 years in animated films it's like less about the actual dragon and more about the beast within sort of so it's kind wow. of right in line there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm just like, I'm sad that it's only a Disney plus movie. Yeah. <laughs> like I want to see it in the theaters. The big one. And, yeah. The big dog. Yeah. Right. And it, it, it had trailers in, in theaters too. Like that was the crazy thing. I would, I saw it even before like uh, the Batman, mm-hmm. which is, I guess the big movie that I saw recently. And I just want to say it's it's all right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean <laughs> that's what I heard. I heard from yeah, from, yeah. from James that same thing. He he said it was long. Yeah, and you really feel the length. And it it's funny because we saw The Godfather recently too because it had its 50th anniversary like re-release. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they almost have the exact same running time. But the way that The Godfather uses that running time compared to the way the Batman does it. It's just like, man, uh, you really feel the length. Um, but the thing about it, though, is that the more I think about it, I uh, I kind of like it more than the Christopher Nolan Batmans. You know? tell, tell me There's more. Certain... Tell me more. Okay. Well, for one thing, I like that Gotham City is is more prominent. Like it's a it's a character in mm. the movie mm. that kind of is a throwback to um, the Tim Burton, uh, Joel Schumacher. Batman's, you know, which I feel are kind of underrated, the especially the Joel Schumacher mm-hmm. ones. Like people hate uh Batman and Robin, like they think it's the worst Batman ever. But like, you know, the the design of Gotham City in that movie, if you go back, is just 
it's gorgeous. And um, that was what made me sad about the the Christopher Nolan movies, where it was just like some sort of hybrid of New York and Chicago. Yeah. Um, so that's that's great. I mean, Rob Pattinson also is a good Batman. And it's a it's a nice surprise considering, you know, like all the stories about how he was difficult to work with and that he refused to like work out <laughs> to be Batman and all of those things. But no, he's great in it. Uh, he's a much more memorable Bruce Wayne than than Christian Bale was. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of things going for it. And I feel like it sets up uh, what could be a good sequel. But I think it deserves a better director. That's just all I would say about it. You know, so got it. Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. Um, All right. The, the only other thing I have, because I haven't seen a, a movie recently other than what we're going to talk about, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a quick cut or like more like a loose thread. Mm-hmm. So, you, so, you know, we've covered Clue in a previous yeah. app. And one of the things that we talked about with Clue was that it's really unique how they did multiple endings, you know, right. for, and it really was a way to kind of take a whodunit and, um, and kind of make it more satisfying, make the end more satisfying. Sure. And then I was thinking about the movie Scream because we recently also talked about Scream and about how like the shortcoming of it is that once you get to the reveal, it's kind of, there's a little bit of a Peter, it peters off and you kind of know, okay, the heroes are going to kill off the ghost face villains. And then that's how it's going to end. But I was wondering like, is there a way, could you have, could you do a Scream but with the clue style ending where you have multiple <laughs> alternative ways. Like, oh my God. <laughs> like would that, would that make it too silly or would that work in the scream verse, which is already in this like weird kind of metaverse? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it delves into campiness anyway, including the first one. I mean, the way that uh, Rose McGowan dies in the first one yeah. is it's totally a campy <laughs> death, you know, even just from her opening the, the garage door and her nipples are like, you know, oh yeah, correct. It's just like, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. It's just like it's so silly. So I, I would actually be down to see that. You're, I think you're. If any of the producers of Scream like hear this, you're <laughs> just giving them another idea for the sequel. Yeah, multiple you know? ending. This is how it could have mm-hmm. happened, but this, yeah. but here's how it happened. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that would be brilliant. All right, good. Um, yeah, I mean, we're gonna be delving into something like really dense today so yeah. um i i only have one other mm-hmm. well just two more quick cuts sure. um uh so we, we don't keep it too long uh one is that uh i'm a big fan of this youtube channel called um fiona apple rocks oh. <laughs> and i'm not actually sure if fiona apple herself runs it because like um recently uh there'll be just these random like personal messages where fiona apple looks like she's just like giving a message through her phone like a video message mm-hmm. and it's like uploaded onto this channel so i'm just thinking does she run this channel it's just like and then it you know it has her her older music videos mm-hmm. uh but my favorite thing that the the channel does is basically it will put her her music to like pre-existing footage and it works so well like it blends so well like you could even make them uh you know the music videos for for these um, songs. So uh, one that I'm obsessed with, which I keep playing over and over again, is um, uh, uh, the video for um, Get Him Back, which is from her album uh, Extraordinary Machine. And she pairs it with this video, which is like a performance art piece called The Turntable. 
uh, we'll we'll add the link to to the notes. Cool. Um, but yeah, so the original piece it it played with the uh, Frank Sinatra's "My Way," and it doesn't quite work, you know. But the performance itself is amazing. But with Fiona Apple's music, with "Get Him Back," it's amazing. Like it really transcends what it originally was intended to be, and just how the music really pairs with the performance because the performance is like all in one go. It's not like edited. You know, because it's basically these these performers that are on this stage that's like continuously spinning. So it's like an acrobatic performance. It's dance. It's like um, there's romance. There's like narratives going on within this uh, performance piece. And yeah, it's just a beautiful pairing. And the other pairing that I also like is um, the one for Cosmonauts, which is from her more, more recent album, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. And that actually has like footage of cosmonauts in space and it's just it's beautiful so whoever runs that channel whether it be fiona apple herself or a, yeah. just a big fan like it's an incredible youtube channel it's worth checking out oh, i love it i love yeah i definitely think we could have a whole youtube corner part of the part of this like pod where we can talk about like all of our favorite things oh, that we're for sure on yeah <laughs> absolutely awesome yeah and then uh one just like quick last thing is that um uh painting with john is back on hbo max um and it's it's one of my favorite shows and um you know last week we were talking about um weekly versus binge mm -hmm. and um this is actually one of the few exceptions along with i think uh, joe para talks with you where i appreciate it being a weekly show because i kind of just want it to last forever right like <laughs> these shows are just there's something about them they they i mean um joe pair is a little more warm and fuzzy but like i i feel comforted by these shows and like this more recent season two um of of john lurie there's like an underlying theme about just like accepting your flaws and it's beautiful it really is mm. so um yeah i definitely recommend painting with john even if you're not interested in john lurie or painting yeah <laughs> it's it's worth watching that's good it's deep so that sounds good awesome so one last quick cut i forgot to almost forgot to mention was um that uh the first ever podcast i listened to is coming to an end it's <gasps> so sad man what? Um, and it wasn't even really like a proper podcast. I mean, this was around the time that I guess people were still figuring it out. So what it was, was um, it was actually just a recording of a radio show on BBC Radio 5 Live. Mm. And it was the film reviews of Mark Kermode. And it's co-hosted with uh, Simon Mayo. And um, yeah, it was the first podcast I ever subscribed to. Actually, the reason why I joined Facebook in 2007 was because Ooh. there was a group that... Um, archive the episodes yeah because back then like podcast archives only like went back so far right so that allowed me to listen to older episodes and you know i would even listen to it to go to sleep and they just announced this week that uh, they're ending it like oh. it's the show the show itself like the radio show is going to be gone so consequently the podcast as well mm. so um i'm sad end of an era man mm. so yeah. yeah i mean we all remember our first yeah. No, no what doubt. was the first podcast you ever listened to? It was probably, I think, Petros and Money. So that's mm -hmm. like, Petros and Money is a very popular sports radio show in LA. And so at the time, I was really into talk radio. I was like listening to, you know, sports talk a lot. And then, of course, like whatever, whatever else was kind of mixed in. And this is like the mid 2000s. 
And if I, it finally clicked after hearing it probably for the 40th time, you know, they said, Hey, our show's available on podcasts. You know, if, if, if you miss it, download the podcast. And I finally was like, wait, what does that mean? They <laughs> figured it out and started downloading it. And like, at first I was like burning it to CDs cause I didn't know how to download the files to like an iPod or whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, so this wow. is like, this is like, Oh, this is like, Oh, eight, Oh nine. This is a long yeah. time ago. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So yeah, another, you know, just how radio transitioned into podcasts and now, yeah, that's basically what it's become. Like podcasts are radio now. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and whenever I'm trying, I'm trying to like, like remember why, it, why is it that we're doing a podcast? It's just kind of like, oh, we're just, we're just getting to host our own radio show. Exactly. It's, it's, it, it, it's an extension of that same energy we all had making home videos as kids and just kind of wanting to just to produce something. And, you know, when whatever audience it hits, it hits. And, you know, it, and as long as it's fun to do, that's, you know, that's all that matters. Exactly. Yeah. So here we are. All right. And this has been. All right. So shall we dive into our mega? I am uh, ready. All right. I am excited um, to talk about these. Uh, I'll let you I'll, sort of kind of like a dealer's choice situation. Which one you want to sure. select first, my friend? Well, I mean, I think the the main movie that we're going to be discussing is almost like, you know, announcing the theme of of this episode and yeah. consequent episodes we're going to be doing. So, cool. let's do it. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about Los Angeles Plays Itself, um, do it. this documentary mm. by Tom Anderson. But just to kind of segue before that as a preamble, Ooh, okay. we were supposed to discuss Licorice Pizza in the previous episode, but mm -hmm. you know, we had so much to talk about with Soderbergh that it took up all the time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, before we even get to Los Angeles plays itself, you saw Licorice Pizza now like a month ago. Oh, I happy Pi Day, by the yeah. way. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Happy <laughs> yeah. Pi Day to everybody. That's right. I, uh, least, I love I Pi Day. It, I saw it on Valentine's Day and um, I guess let's just get right into it. Carlo, this movie, I have the most mixed feelings that I've had for a movie in a long time. And so I kind of want to try to unpack it with you. Um, sure, let's do it. And I, and I think just as a disclaimer, you know, so obviously I saw it Valentine's. The movie came out probably when probably like thanksgiving around thanksgiving yeah it's been out for a while yeah so i would say i'm seeing the movie post hype and so there's something that happens to the psyche or at least to my psyche seeing it post hype i'm a little i'm kind of i think i was kind of seeing it a little bit through kind of haterish eyes a little okay. bit of a, a hater filter <laughs> gloss um and so just like my first just general thoughts was um I really enjoyed chunks of it and other chunks. I thought I've, I found myself wondering why it's in the movie. What's the point? And then overall kind of left with a disappointment in the arcs of the characters. Um, in particular, Alana's character. I felt like something could have really resonated and hit home for her at the end. And ultimately where it, where it leaves I kind of it kind of, it's to me even though she's saying I love you Gary it feels sad to me <laughs> it's like like there, there's a sadness in it so I guess before we go further yeah just um yeah uh what's your thoughts or what's your take on that 
Well, I want to hear the specifics of like, mm -hmm. what was it that you liked? Okay. Like, what what were the things that made you feel good about it okay. and what you didn't like? Okay, awesome. So my favorite part was when Alana was mad at her sisters. Um, <laughs> so that's after the date, you know, where she has the guy over for dinner and he says he's an atheist. <laughs> and then she starts yelling at her sisters. That was so well done. Like the, the following, oh, her, following her through the hallways, yelling at her one sister. But I think yeah. the most brilliant part is then, so there's a scene where she's yelling at one sister. It's really loud. Mm -hmm. And then there's a quick cut to a quiet scene where they're now, she's outside sitting down with her other sister. And it kind of brilliantly waits a couple beats I think this, I forget what the sister says, but the sister turns mm -hmm. to Alana and says something to, to the effect of, you don't have to be so angry or, you know, you don't, right. you, you don't have to yell something to that effect. And Alana yeah. just quickly turns to her, says, fuck you, Danielle, starts yelling instantly. <laughs> and it's just like the way that that whole sequence is paced, shot, executed is like, so it was so funny, so perfect. Like I loved that whole part. Um, and I could say that same thing for a, no, a number of the other sequences, you know, like, you know, like seeing the different hijinks that Gary would get up to and set, you know, set, setting up the waterbed, um, uh, showcase, you know, right before he gets mm -hmm. arrested, that whole arrest scene I thought was pretty interesting where it, it looks like he, he's miss, um, uh, the police mistake him for somebody else and and, and they grab him and they, they wh wh wisp him away and then he's released and Alana's there. Like, I thought that that was really interesting. Um, yeah, it was beautiful. I know I was also trying to figure out like what that piece of music was that was playing leading up to that yeah. part where he gets arrested because it was kind of dreamy. Yeah. And, you know, the, the music of the movie is like a mix between like Johnny Greenwood score and like um, actual needle drops. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering, I, it probably is a Johnny Greenwood score, but yeah, that, yeah. that sequence is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that that was re really well done. And then the, the other one, I just want to say just um, all this stuff involving the Japanese restaurant. I just loved all that stuff with the, um, <laughs> the, the owner who was like, it's kind of, you're aware that maybe he's so, sort of um, not mail order bride, but you know, he's kind of has a fetish and he's bringing women over and he's kind of doesn't really know much about the culture. Doesn't really care much about the culture. Just kind of likes that he has the, he's dating Japanese women who don't speak English and likes that he gets to run a restaurant. I don't know for, for me that all resonated as like really funny and interesting and I liked the dynamic, you know. Um, so I would say those were the parts to me that stick out. And I think just overall, what was a struggle for me was um, trying to make it be a. I don't know. I think I just I just want my my movies to have a little more of a narrative, a little more of a we're we're starting here and we're ending here. And this was a little more of a of we're just hanging out. And that's that's a that's a total vibe. That's a vibe that movies have. I think for me, I would almost want because it is really well done. It was really enjoyable. I would almost want this to be like a TV show because like it almost seemed like there was like episodes. You know, it's like okay, here's the episode where Alana is going 
to dinner with Sean Penn. And then here's the episode where they're moving the waterbed with um, uh, Bradley Cooper. Um, and if it was like, if it was set up in that kind of a frame, I think I might have been able to get on board with it a little more, but just, just my brain. But the fact that it was, it's like one movie, I want it, I want it to pay off harder, I think. So I think ultimately that's my main takeaway is like, man, this is really well done. And I wish it was either a different format or a more, just that, that they learned something at the end. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I'm surprised like that um you said yeah. that the Japanese restaurant was one of the things you liked cuz that's one of the main like um controversies with the movie that people have a problem with especially yeah. when you said that oh like what was the purpose of this being here like that's another part where it's like people will say well if you cut those scenes out with the Japanese restaurant owner uh and let's just address it that some people I've accused the movie of being racist because right. of its depiction of this uh, owner. Um, uh, that yeah, it's like the movie would still work if you cut those scenes out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I would you agree. said you liked it. <laughs> so, I mean, I I would definitely agree that the movie would work if you cut a, a number of things out. Um, but yeah, so so maybe since we're on it, I do I kind of want to get your take on it because yeah, I have also heard the controversy about this these scenes i've heard on a, another podcast people think that th th this is the most or that this was the part of the movie that they had the hardest part watching or or, or the hardest part getting behind um uh, my before we hear your take my take was i found it i found that that they executed it well like to me i took it like oh no i think this guy is a creep it's funny but he's also like, yeah, this is not how you want to behave. This is obviously not how you want to run things and do things. So I don't know. I thought the movie handled it well. It's just, a, a, you know, a, a touchy subject. Um, but yeah, I guess, yeah. How did, how do you think that, um, how do you think PTA ha handled all that? Well, yeah, I mean, he even has been interviewed since and he's responded to it. And I think, his response as uh it's not as direct as you would like um okay. but um it pretty much sums it up um which is like basically i mean he's he's showing like an idiot like basically yeah. he's not um and i i don't think it i mean it, it goes back to another issue of like this it's the duty of a movie to like judge you know its characters right. and right. that you know whatever you represent in your characters in a movie that also reflects how you think and like you know we're we're still in this period somewhat of of cancel culture and that's emblematic of it of just yeah. like oh well you know it's like um this might have been true this might have happened but why do you need to show it you know it's like there there's also this revisionist lens of like we have to judge movies um and and not just this because this is a more recent movie mm -hmm. um which basically they, they're even harder on it because it's like well you already have this perspective of like okay right. this is wrong um so why are you still showing it um whereas you know when they judge like movies from the past in the same way it's kind of ridiculous because it's like yeah well i mean you know it's yeah. not acceptable but at the same time like some people just didn't know any better right you know and um what I feel is that, yeah, it was it really necessary? No. Um, but at the same time, uh, like 
knowing PTA, and this is also how I'm able to distinguish people who are actual fans of PTA and like those who basically are kind of fly by night. So the thing about him from the beginning has always been his attention to like little details. And I mean, you know, in Boogie Nights, he talks about it like the commentary in Boogie Nights is incredible. Like it's one of my favorite like director commentaries. And by the way, also, I'll just say as a caveat too, I'm not like uh, a PTA apologist or like a mega fan. Like I'm not going to defend him through everything. Like uh, I will say this was the movie that I, I kind of came back to him too, because like for a while, like all the movies that have gotten like the major praise from there will be blood to Phantom Thread. I was just not a big fan of these movies. Um, And uh, so, yeah, me stepping in here to just say that, what he's depicting in the movie it's not me like defending him it's basically saying that Mm -hmm. you know it goes back to something that i know he does as a filmmaker which is all about like details remember details so everything has a basis in something that he experienced or he remembers i mean even the the impetus for the movie itself like the story that i heard was he basically was like driving down ventura boulevard and he saw this teen kid like hitting on like uh a woman like in a in a takeout window or something like that and then you know he was just like yeah what if like the girl actually showed up you know (laughs) Uh, what if the late the older lady showed up at the date that he was like asking her to to go to so all of these things have some sort of basis in what he remembers and i mean it's not that one he he that's why i wish he kind of addressed it directly like i I wish that it was like yeah well where did this idea come from like um uh did you experience this in the valley when you were younger you know um Hmm. the movie is also set in 1973 and he was born in 1970 so he would have been three years old uh at around the time the movie is set so um uh it it would just be fascinating of like where did that idea for this little detail come from but i that just addressing your thing about it feeling like episodic and all of those things, I think that's really it. Like he was going for something where it was more about remember details and like, you know, how events kind of just mesh together. Like when you're falling for somebody, you know, and I think he really did that well Mm -hmm. um, in this movie. And I, I like it as it is. And there's this thing that people have, like it's a theory that, kind of Tarantino and and PTA because they're really good friends and they're both LA filmmakers that they're um, they're kind of one upping each other with each movie. So like, um, so basically um, licorice pizza is, is like uh, PTA's response to once upon a time in Hollywood, Mm -hmm. which also has kind of like a, a hangout vibe, even though, you know, it's set like towards the end of the sixties. But yeah, that, it's kind of set around the same area too. Like, um, I mean, well, yeah, Hollywood obviously is, is, is just South of the Valley. And that's actually one of the things I wanted to ask you now that you've seen it. How did you feel about how the Valley was portrayed since, you know, you are from the Valley? I mean, I, I, that I I loved, um, I really resonated with the way they were hanging out, you know, like Gary and his friends, it was very reminiscent. So I grew up in the Valley in the nineties and it was somewhat similar where it was just like, you know, we would skateboard around, you know, and, you know, obviously he was in a slightly different element. You know, he was in the acting realm, whereas me and my friends, we were kind of like in the outskirts of like the music industry. You know, we were forming bands and hanging out at guitar centers and Sam Ash and coffee shops and these kinds of things. But it was, you know, very similar, uh, uh, you know, 
um, where it's like you get together with your friends, you have an idea, you have a lot, you have a ton of project energy because um, that's just kind of the vibe, I think, of both being a kid and then just being in that sort of in, in the San Fernando Valley. It's kind of like, well, what are you up to? And so how they would parlay that into businesses, me and my friends would parlay that into a band or putting, trying to put on a backyard show. or So all that was really um, familiar and fun. And yeah, and, and yeah, seeing all the storefronts, you know, obviously the storefronts have changed um, from my childhood, but it's, you know, it's, it's essentially the same thing. It's concrete, it's stores, <laughs> it's, it's windows, there's beautiful people all around mixed with like young children. And it's kind of this weird uh, amalgam. And then, yeah, there's like, you might run into a celebrity or a pseudo celebrity or a, a celebrity spouse or, you know, wh- whatever the situation is. And I think that's really well represented in the movie. Um, that, that all was kind of, you know, it, it, it's, it's very melancholy. It's very, um, it, you know, it brings back fond memories. It's also kind of like a, there's like a little sadness about it too. You know, when, when you're thinking about like your childhood or you're thinking about how fun it was to do all that with no consequences and like, but you don't realize how, how beautiful that period is. And then it's over. So I can, you know, I, I definitely give PTA kudos for, for capturing that again, you know, in the movie. Yeah. And I guess some, um, that is the other value of the movie for me when you mentioned yeah. that is that, it is a return for him in, in so many ways because, you know, he hadn't made the movie set in the Valley uh, since um, uh, Punch Drunk Love. So it's almost been 20 years um, and how much he's changed since then, because as much as like I'm not a fan of There Will Be Blood and um, uh, Phantom Thread, which I, I kind of want to revisit, you know, it's been a while. But um, yeah. uh, that was the thing was just uh, and I think a lot of of PDA PDA fans are like split um, between his early period, which I'm a big fan of, you know, I kind of fall within that camp and this, this current period of just like, he's changed, you know, he's um, as much as I, I, yeah, I, I have my issues with those movies. It was him kind of coming into his own because those early movies, you know, he was always kind of compared to Altman and Scorsese and you know this was him like okay i'm my own filmmaker now but at the same time it's just uh, yeah your issues with the movie are are valid because one of my main issues with the the other movies is just how they're paced like i feel like they're they're a lot more plodding because you know he's not following the scorsese like whip pans and like yeah. steady cam shots like he he really toned that down um with his 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 later movies so um for him to come back to the valley and then now have his own style and become his own filmmaker um it it doesn't mesh as well as it did you know and it comes back to this thing i think i might have brought up in an earlier episode about the anxiety of influence that harold bloom talks about where it's just like you can end up doing better work with your influences rather than you know trying to become your own artist so Mm, um yeah yeah it's 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 a fascinating idea um uh, but yeah, like uh, the the thing that I find refreshing about the movie is the fact that um, it's his first movie that doesn't have really cruel characters, mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. and people just being mean to each other, um, you know, and that's why I think I, uh, of his recent films, uh, I, I've come to value um, Inherent Vice more 
because it is about a main character who is trying to do good and like you know um he actually does the the right thing at the end um but Wait, uh, um so i just want to just quickly interrupt so mm-hmm. for um for there will be blood is was was that your main critique was that daniel day was just so mean yeah and i mean it's it's, it's to the point of caricature and also like yeah. i i think his performance is also just ridiculous like i, I don't I, you know people are like oh man he deserves oscar <sighs> winning great, performance <laughs> i'm so happy you're saying this because yeah i've always been in this i've had this weird mental block with him mm-hmm. where i'm aware everyone else is saying how he's like the best actor mm-hmm. and he's like you know, if you can, you know, every performance is great and the reputation is, is, is obviously earned. It's, it's, you know, it's well received, but then when I'm watching, yeah, there will be blood or even bill the butcher. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a little like, this is the best acting. Like, like yeah. I, like I'm, and it, it could just be that I'm dumb, but I'm just like, I don't quite get it other than he's, other than he's great at at encompassing a bold character, right? Um, I I think it's it's because of the awareness yeah. of the performance. You know, it, mm. that's really it. It's just to me, like the best acting is always the most subtle. Like it's not always yeah. like yelling or fidgeting or like doing all these method things that that yeah. actors did or still do. You know, to me, it, it's really how are you able to convey something with doing very little? Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I do prefer his performance in um, in Phantom Thread. I think it's a lot better. And then even yeah. um, with Scorsese, you know, their earlier collaboration in Age of Innocence, I think he was very good, you know. Um, so he is capable of, of delivering like a subtle performance. But yeah, like with There Will Be Blood, it's just like bombastic. <laughs> And like, um, yeah, and even Paul Dano is also over the top in it. So it's just like, um, yeah, I, I, I really don't get the hype for yeah. for that movie. You know, it, it does have some cinematic value, I guess. Like, it's it's beautiful to look at, and the score by Johnny Greenwood is incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just to me, like, I'm I'm just watching these movies with a distance. You know, even right. the master, I can see like right. uh, the beauty in it, and like there's earlier sequences in the master, especially the shopping mall sequence, which I mm. really love. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it's just uh, yeah, it's just needlessly cruel. Um, yeah, I I don't know, and like it, I I don't find anything redeeming um, with with no. anybody in these movies, you know. So I hear you. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, all right. It's it's nice. We kind of had we're able to squeeze in like a quick cut into the yeah. So <laughs> for sure. But 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 going back to licorice pizza. Sorry, mm-hmm. I think did I I think I might have interrupted you. Were you on a run? Um, I don't even remember. So okay. It's all good. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I did. So I did just want to just circle back so we can put a, a, a pin in the, in the Japanese restaurant conversation. Sure. Did you find it offensive? Like the first time watching it or did you find it humorous? Oh, okay. So here's the thing. I think this is going to reveal a lot about me <laughs> mm-hmm. being an Asian man. Okay. Um, cause yeah, I, I also was curious, like asking other Asian people about yeah. this and, um, I don't know. It's it's just this weird thing about being Filipino, um, which I mm-hmm. think is only specific to us. Where yeah, I don't necessarily identify as Asian. You know, um, right? There's this thing in in Ali Wong's special where she distinguishes between fancy Asians and jungle <laughs> Asians. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So that's really it. Like I feel like jungle Asians identify <laughs> less as as Asians. See, I don't even yeah. get offended by that term. Right. You know. Um, but 
that that's just really it. Like even when I'm I'm filling in like forms, I always identify more as Pacific Islander than Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's to tie point. into that, like I just I I. I, I don't really take offense to a lot of like stereotypes because I, I feel like some of them are warranted, you know, like it is true. There are certain things about Asians where I'm like, yeah, that, that really is the case. And I think just um, mm-hmm. I, in general, I just don't, it's very hard to offend me, you know, like um, it, it takes yeah. a lot. Like um, I think before, I think when I was younger and I was a little angrier, yeah. I would only get offended because of the idea that it was somebody's intent to offend me rather right. than the actual thing offending me, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so for me, again, I was just looking at it from that kind of distance of like, well, you know, um, yeah, he's depicting a racist person, you know, in this movie. And um, that's just what it would be, you yeah. know? Um, uh, but yeah, for me to really take offense to it. But yeah, I, I did talk to so, certain um, Asian people and uh, <laughs> I'd say my friends, <laughs> certain <Sure>. Asian people. <laughs> yeah, I did talk to them to get their perspective on it. And yeah, a lot of them, like, yeah, they did feel uncomfortable about it. Like, uh-huh. especially because, you know, watching it in a movie theater with other people, like hearing other people laugh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll freely admit, I laughed, you know. I just found it funny because it was just like, yeah, this guy's an idiot, you know. It's just like, he doesn't even understand Japanese. And yeah, he just assumes that he'll be understood more if he speaks in that accent. Yeah. You know, Um, but yeah, uh, I I did not find it offensive at all. How about you? I'm with you. Yeah. That, that was, that's essentially my take as well was that I, I found myself laughing. I also kind of know in myself, you know, like what you laugh at kind of can be a little more telling for your personality, maybe even more than you'd like to admit. And so I think there's a part of me that I, I do find stuff that's like in that, in the racial verse, mm-hmm. I tend to laugh at it more than maybe others. So, and like, that, that, that's not maybe something that I want to like, you know, announce that, Hey, this is part of my personality. I laugh at racial humor, <laughs> but I think it is a part of me. So yeah, I, I don't find it offensive. Um, but I also can get that you can, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think just the way it was executed and done, I, I find it hard to believe that PTA was maybe, you know, is, is, is necessarily doing something wrong. It just could be a lack of sensitivity or a misstep. Cause I think ult- ultimately what he's, sh- I, I don't think the character he's showing is racist. I think he's showing an ignorant white guy. Right. And there's still a lot of ignorant in the world and i certainly probably still have a good chunk of ignorance too so i'm willing to admit that it you know i might not be in the right here but also i think to me and this is the topic i think i want to get to next what i found more difficult watching the movie is the age gap so um so to me it it was funny that pete that the asian part is kind of getting a lot of the controversy whereas to me what was more squirrely and I, but I also maybe have less to say cause I don't know what to say other than I feel squirrely about it is the age gap between all the character Alana and the character Gary just cause and and you know, I think you, you've already kind of stated the premise is already a ridiculous premise that PTA just imagined. What if the older woman called his bluff? So, if I'm watching the movie through that lens, I can kind of get behind, okay, this is already kind of like a hypothetical, 
But if I didn't know that, it is a little difficult to kind of get what, what you know, because Alana, she's really cool. She's she's poor, um, made out to be really f- smart and and witty and attractive, you know, like all these things in the movie. And so it's a little unclear why is she continually wanting to hang out with Gary and his friends? You know, they kind Even of questions to... that she questions that at one point. It's like, why yeah. is it weird that I keep hanging out with Gary and his 15 year old friends all the time? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think if, you know, and again, I'm not in any position to rewrite a movie or, you know, you know, or, or to give notes, God, but just, but for the sake of the pod and just, I think I would have liked it not to have ended with the ADR of her saying, I love you, Gary. Okay. That part, that, that, that ADR really like, like for me was like a, a popping a balloon. I was like, no, don't end like that. Um, so I'll just kind of end there and yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh well, I do, I do want to respond to that a little bit too, because I, I mean, so much of the key to me liking this movie is the Alana character. Yeah. Um, because she seems like somebody I knew, you know, mm-hmm. Um, the details, the attention to detail to that, and the, obviously the performance by Alana Haim is incredible, and it's like yeah, it's absolutely crazy injustice that she's not even nominated for this performance in you know, totally. yeah. and she's not going to be winning the major awards because I, I think she deserves it. Like it's one of my favorite performances. Um, uh, and with regards to that that age gap, like I still feel like the movie is ambiguous about it. Like you say, it, it's kind of sad. Yeah, the way that she says it with that ADR sounds sad. Like I I don't think it's any guarantee at the end that it's it's gonna work out. You know, it's just basically like you know the whole rom com thing of like they've overcome right. all these obstacles and now they're together. But you know what happens from that point? You know, it's just like the reality of it is like well you're still 15 and I'm 25. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, do I wait another five years before, you know, we actually can really, and, and then, you know, the, the double standard thing too, of just um, if the, the, the gender roles or the, yeah, were reversed, um, would it be more controversial, you know? Cause I mean, mm-hmm. that was, I, I think this was the first controversy of the movie before the racist stuff. Um, uh, and you know, like TikTokers really were reacting to it and saying that, uh, yeah, this was their main issue was the, the age gap. Um, but yeah, it, it's funny because there, there's another recent movie, um, Red Rocket, which also has like a significant age gap. It's a 40 year old man having a relationship with a 17 year old girl, oh. but nobody raised the fuss about that. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, um, I don't know it to me again it's another thing where these things do exist in the world and sure. um and, and again you know it, it's it's one of those moral conundrums of like well just because it exists should we portray it you know but i i think there there's definitely a value and a space to to show that and then also i think PTA did enough to make it seem ambivalent because she's always resisting him. And I guess that's one of my favorite things about the depiction of the Alana character too, is that uh, desire is basically like projected onto her. And that's what kind of makes her feel valued. It's like when she senses that a guy is attracted to her, 
she becomes attracted to that guy you know right. like okay. you know it's it's with every relationship it's it's with with Gary it's with the Skylar Gizondo character which is a great character by the way even though he only has like a, a little segment he's the atheist yeah uh, boyfriend <laughs> and then um uh the Sean Penn character too you know where it's basically like she's she's even like saying to him like do you think I'm pretty you know and yeah. and the, the, just that vulnerability of that performance and being at the same time like actually that sequence is so good because it's when Gary shows up at his favorite restaurant the tail of the cock and um and she's both being vulnerable to Sean Penn but then also trying to like show Gary like look at where yeah. I'm at and then she sticks her mm-hmm. tongue out at him and um you know that's just really it there's a lot of nuance here to me that like gives it more i think um, validity in terms of exploring um yeah. than just like hey it's like you know um i guess the the most uh frequent thing we see like in the news is like the hot for teacher kind of thing where you know it's a teenager hooking up right. with, it, with his um adult teacher so um so yeah i i think um the movie does explore it in a way where it 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 never completely has closure on it. I I, I do feel that um, it's open to interpretation, especially towards the end, and um, you know that makes it worth watching. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I definitely am am on board with a lot of those thoughts. Um, shoot, while while you were watching, I well, sorry, while, while you you were talking, I had a, a pop up. Got to see if I can re recapture it it was something in the um their relationship together oh okay so gary you know as you would imagine a 15 year old boy who's as confident and kind of mature as as he is you know you you you, you can imagine that he's going to be handsy and he's going to be aggressive at at times and you know with trying to hook up and I liked that the movie didn't actually show any of that. Didn't actually show Gary being super handsy or super gross. Uh, yeah, but, there was but, one moment <laughs> on the waterbed, if you remember. On the that. waterbed, right? Yeah. But yeah, but he, he didn't actually follow through, which was nice. Right. But then, but but they brought that information in through Alana talking to other women. You know, and so I, I thought that that was a good way of, of acknowledging, hey, this is actually, let's not forget that although he's tall and large and confident and, and can kind of play an 18-year-old, let's not forget that he's 15 and they add in those details of him being, you know, kind of a horny little kid. Um, I thought in a clever way that, that um, didn't, you know, that as a viewer, like, yeah, we don't have to see the, the, those scenes. Whereas I think in a in a, a previous incarnation of this kind of a movie, you, you would see a lot of those scenes, you know? I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's funny because even though it's not being depicted in the movie, people still hated this character, you know? And <laughs> a lot of it is people's just issue with Cooper Hoffman in general. Like, you know, it's, sometimes you can't just do it. It's just um, people don't like your appearance and then your performance. Oh. And then, you know, I, I think a sure. lot of people had issues with that. So it's, it's kind of a counterbalance to me saying that I, I love the yeah. Alana Haim character. But then, you know, I also understand with the Gary Valentine character, like he's supposed to be a little shit, you know, <laughs> like he, he's, he's overconfident. And like the whole thing of him just um, getting revenge on um, 
on the John Peters character, the the, the played by Bradley Cooper was just like you know a sign of his immaturity, you yeah. know, and he really thought like he was impressing Alana by doing that. I mean, everything he does was to impress Alana, basically, you know, right. in the movie. Um, but yeah, like the the it, I don't root for him in the movie. Like I I, I understand that he is like yeah. kind of, but you know, he's fifteen. So it's like, who were you when you were 15? And like, you know, you grow out of certain things too, you know, yeah. at the same time. So, yeah, yeah. I think just because, you know, uh, th- they are sort of equally featured in the movie, I think. And again, this goes back to my original point of I kind of by making it a movie, I wanted him to also have some kind of an arc. And so it was, it was, a, it was a little bit of, of a disappointment that he is, he's essentially the same guy, you know, like throughout the whole film. Whereas if, if this was a TV show, you know, it's like, yeah, that's, that's how it goes. You know, there's like small, small fluctuations and there's enough charm. I, I actually didn't find him to be too obnoxious. I found him, uh, I found his character to be fine. I, I just wanted it to go somewhere else at the end. Um, but yeah, so I, I just, yeah, I don't really have much more to say on the age gap because also I think um, I too don't necessarily find it offensive you know, in a sense, it's more just like I was saying, it, it, it brought up a feeling in me watching it that I can't articulate. And I, it, but it, it just has me kind of wonder, is that the point? You know, are we the, are, are we the generation of people and movie viewers? We're, we're the ones dealing with these issues of age of big age gaps, particularly once you go below 18 in, in life, you know, in, um, and then also, you know, racial sensitivity. And so it's kind of, it is on us to wrestle with these issues on our privately and in groups. And in a way, does a movie like this help us wrestle with these issues together, knowing that it's not clean and that not, none of us are 100% on the side of the good, whatever the good is uh, perceived at this point, you know, cause like, you know, we're all kind of, as a culture, we're progressing in a certain direction. And so, you know, in 20 years, well, we'll, we'll look back differently. And it's just, you know, we're, are we just the generation that is dealing with these issues and kind of working it all, you know, work, sorry, working it all out. No. Yeah. You, you bring up a, a very pertinent point, I think like, uh, yeah, it, it's our, you know, I, I love that the movie brings up these discussion points and mm-hmm. that it, it, it should make us reflect because, I, I tried to think about the movie without these controversial bits in it, you know? Yeah. And what would it be? And, you know, obviously there's still like the PTA kind of um, attention to detail and craft, but at the same time, like it also makes the movie a lot easier to digest. Um, and I don't think he's, he's out to make movies like that. You know, he wants movies yeah. that are complicated, that are contradictory Um and, uh, you know, it, it just contrasts it with his last super romantic movie. I mean, some people will say Phantom Thread is romantic, but uh, I would even go back 20 years to Punch Drunk Love and compare those mm-hmm. two movies. And, like, the obstacles that that couple faces are more external and not really within them, you know, in the sense of, like, an age gap, you know. It's like um, the things that they have to deal with are more, like... Um, things from the outside but other than that like they can be together you know like there's Mm -hmm. there's nothing societal or moral or immoral about them you know being together so right um you know to watch that growth i mean i would be down to actually like just 
do a double bill and watch these two back to back and mm-hmm. see how far he's come between these two movies, that's you know? Um, but yeah, that's really it. I just feel like he's a filmmaker and that's what I appreciate about him is that he's not giving the audience like an easy out. It could easily be like a sweet, you know, yeah. teenage rom-com, but he, right. he went the other route and like has these elements that, you know, yeah. doesn't sit well with us, you know? So yeah. Ult- yeah. yeah. Ultimately it's, it's a movie that I don't necessarily think I would, I would say is like, one of my favorite movies or like a top movie that I would mm-hmm. want to rewatch. But I would say it is at the top of movies I want to talk about. Right. Because of these elements. And so it's, it's sort of this balancing act of the, the conversation that come that can come out of a movie like this is that, does that elevate it? And on, you know, you know, in this moment talking with you, yeah, it does. Yeah, but wa- walking out of the theater, no, it didn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it has value. You know, I, yeah. I for sure that that's really. Uh, I think one of the the best things a movie can do is just have some sort of um, discussion yeah. that uh, afterwards, you know, and totally we can figure it out together. Yeah. So, like, yeah. um, like, do you think the, that there was like a, like a clear commentary or like a point of view that that the that PTA was trying to make with the movie? No, or was uh, it was it was it just a hangout? Yeah, you know, I don't think that there was. It's just like it, you're free to decide how you feel about the relationship and the performances and the characters. You know, that's that's the beauty of the movie to me, is that it's open. And again, the the inverse of that, which is the other trend that I don't like, it's just like you know, people making judgments on people who like the movie and vice versa, you know? It's like, well, you know, that's not necessarily a reflection of you, you know? It's like there's there's different things that you find value in. Like like you said, like, you know, you may just like the movie because of the discussion that it provokes, but you don't necessarily like it as a movie itself, you know? Um, right. Like a, for its like entertainment value or like, you know, if it emotionally resonates with you, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's different reasons to like a movie or dislike it, you know, but that that shouldn't be like a reflection of you as a person, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I like it. Well, All right. Man. All right. Well, I'm glad we had this discussion, you know. Um, oh, yeah, because I, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I like, I, I don't even remember what I said about it when I initially said that it was one of my favorite movies of last year, and I think that still holds true, mm-hmm. uh, even with with um, subsequent discussions I've had about the movie. So yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's worth talking about, and like I said earlier, there's parts of it I really, really like. So yeah, it's good. All right, so I guess this should segue into our uh, the oh, other yeah. movie that we're gonna talk about, a Here gargantuan movie that uh, <laughs> deserves uh, its uh, its running time as much as the city it's trying to depict. Um, Los Angeles plays itself, and yeah, we we have to make the distinction, by the way, that uh, mm. it's Los Angeles plays itself. It's not L.A. plays itself. Yeah, um, and I. I I, and I've made that mistake many times just because it's so easy to say L.A. But um, I think what you're alluding to is there's a another film of that of the name L.A. plays itself, which actually gets featured in Los Angeles. Plays itself. Yeah, yeah. That's where it took its title from, from a, a, actually a gay porn movie by Fred Halstead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with Tom Anderson's film, Los Angeles plays itself, it's it's kind of a like a double entendre like uh basically that uh it both means like 
Los Angeles playing itself as, you know, L.A. Los Angeles in movies, but it also kind of uh, is like playing itself, you know, in terms of like it's fooling itself, you know, like um, so. Yeah, uh, this is a crazy movie. Um, uh, I I just want to say like how I first came across it. I don't even remember actually where I had heard about it, but it was just one night I was looking it up on IMDb and I would say this was around like 2006, 2007. Um, I was looking it up on IMDb. No, it it had to be 2008. No, it was 2008. So uh, I was looking it up on IMDb and um, you know how IMDb has this like show times like near you. Like that night, it was a Sunday night. I remember it said like that it was playing at the Egyptian that very night. So I got into my car and basically drove to Hollywood. I, I came from West Covina and drove to Hollywood. And this is like pertinent to the movie too. It's just like the distance of that. For those who don't know, like West Covina is like an outer like city of Los Angeles County. So it's not part of LA city. It's like 20 minutes from downtown without traffic. Like, and to Hollywood is probably like 30 to 35 minutes yeah. without traffic. Yeah. And on is, a- it, 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 is it technically the, like in the Inland Empire? Yes, is that, is yes, that, yeah. And, that area, yeah. And an, another interesting fact I learned was that uh, it's actually part of the TMZ. I don't know if you know about TMZ. <laughs> where, where like, the, the website and the, the, the gossip uh, show comes from. So TMZ actually means 30-mile zone. Um, so, it, yeah, so basically it's the area that you can shoot in, like, that are covered by unions. So West Covina is like oh. the final frontier. <laughs> so it's the last no place way. you can shoot that's like covered by uh, the the unions in in Los that's Angeles. Funny. I thought it was like the movie zone or something. Yeah. So thirty <laughs> no, mile zone. Okay, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, the funny thing too, just to tie into PTA, uh, like uh, Burt Reynolds' house in Boogie Nights is in West Covina, even though it's supposed to be portrayed to be in the San Fernando Valley. It's actually in the other valley, San Gabriel Valley. Yeah, yeah. So it's east of Los Angeles. So I I drove, like, it's just a classic thing. And I I, I just realized that too, of just like how rare it is for me to just spontaneously get into my car and and watch a movie. You know, like usually I plan ahead, you know, it's it's a whole thing because, you know, you gotta gotta get in your car, drive that distance, and then you gotta find parking. And, you know, um, the, the thing about the Egyptian theater is that it doesn't have parking. Like it's off of Hollywood Boulevard and parking is a nightmare. Uh, the only positive was it was a Sunday night. So, you know, um, Sunday parking is free, but I don't even remember where I parked. But, it, you know, I usually know that if I'm going to see a movie at the Egyptian, I'm going to like have to walk for a while <laughs> before uh, I find parking. And I even noticed recently that they even changed the parking rules around Hollywood where like the residential areas, they don't even allow you to park anymore without a permit. So um, it sucks, man. Uh, But anyway, I went and, uh, you know, it was just one of these movies that I guess was just word of mouth kind of thing. Like there's no trailer for it. You know, I mean, there was nothing on YouTube about it, but they were just like, oh, yeah, it's this the city symphony and it's composed of all L.A. Uh, Los Angeles film clips. I got to keep making that distinction. Um, yeah. And uh, I was just blown away. It was like this three hour movie. It had an intermission. Uh, uh, Tom Anderson, the filmmaker, was there at the screening to introduce oh. it. Yeah. Yeah. And he did a Q&A afterwards as well. And uh, the amazing thing about it was that also in that version that I saw, like it was still being distributed on like uh, it wasn't a VHS, but it was definitely a tape format. 
and that a lot of it was like taken from movie a lot of the film clips were from yeah uh from tapes like from vhs's and stuff so no like a, yeah a lot of the footage was fairly degraded and then what's happened in that interim since like i guess it came out on blu-ray and cinema guild like released it um was a lot of the movies that were shown in it had like digital restorations and then he had yeah. because cinema guild backed the movie like he had access now to like better clips so he was able to improve upon um the older because so some of them are still like that they still like degraded video and there's a charm to yeah. that but yeah it was like one of those crazy like spontaneous things where i was just like man i'm glad i went to see it yeah. and then i was also just like kind of overwhelmed by it you know because yeah. it was just so many clips and it's three hours and i didn't get most of the jokes because you know around that time i was still fairly new to la and i realized that like um yeah, a lot of people can live here for years. It will live in LA for years and yeah. and not know the city, you yeah. know. And um, That's so me. much. Okay. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, let, let's get into your history. So you were born where? I was born. Um, so I, I was born in Hollywood. Actually, I was born at Hollywood okay. Presbyterian Hospital wow. in 1981. But mm -hmm. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. So gotcha. And, so. From the time I was born till 18, you know, only lived in two different houses in the valley. My first intersection was, let's say, um, Winnetka and Roscoe. And my and where my mom's house now is closer to, say, Winnetka, closer to, say, Sadakoy and Winnetka. I mean, gotcha. I, you know, so, so again, like, I grew up in the same kind of block, you know, the, the same area, mm -hmm. which is, it's, te it's technically Winnetka, California, but... When I was growing up, everyone who grew up in Winnetka said they lived in Canoga Park. It's kind of one of those weird <laughs> L.A. things. Right. But um, so that's the area that I knew. Like, and it wasn't until that I was could it. drive that I started going to concerts in Hollywood, going to the, the Roxy and the Whiskey and kind of learning the Sunset Strip. But the South Bay, downtown, um, you know, beaches other than Zuma and Santa Monica, I didn't really know. Venice, I didn't know at all. Palisades, the Hollywood Hills, all that stuff was a mystery. And then like anything east, like if like there's a joke, if you're east of the five, it's Riverside. You know, like like <laughs> it's just it's it's just it's um it's a no man's land. I didn't know what was east of there, you know, for a long time. You know, I'd like I, I knew some somewhere out there was Pasadena. But but you know, but that's kind of it. But um so you so you had heard about this movie just word of mouth when you when you went and yeah saw it? like i can't even remember yeah who i heard it from but like yeah i had wow. to just seek it out and yeah it was one of those things but it's just funny you bring bringing that up yeah about like not knowing the other neighborhoods um that's just really it it's just um well for me like my world was just west covina and hollywood that was it yeah. like i thought that was <laughs> la and like yeah. everything in between was just like a uh, drive over country, not flyover, yeah. drive over, yeah. you know, with the yeah. freeways. So, um, yeah, it wasn't actually till I like came back to California after a stint in New York that I really got to know L.A., you know, and um, probably appreciated it better, too. And this movie goes a long way in also helping you appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. So what were you saying about like uh, discovering it? Oh, um, I guess. Um, I just wanted just to bring it back to um, to the movie. What mm -hmm. I really liked was it helped me understand the history of the movie. Oh, sorry, of the city. Um, you know, 
because you know i'd always heard that it, it's the most photographed city it's the most filmed city but growing up especially you know from you know when my memories start to come online in the late 80s and so from that time on i could really only think of like a handful of of what i would call la movies from the 90s on you know i could probably get to like 10 or so but um but you know so it was really nice to have a movie like this that shows you from the 40s through the 70s in particular how many movies were in la and that focused on different areas and different elements and that gave you the history of not just the geography you know of places like bunker hill but then also um the history of uh the transportation systems the history of um of the police you know the the police reputations yes oh my god Um, that whole sequence is incredible (laughs) that kind of like helps inform what i was seeing in the 90s you know as as a kid you know it's like well why 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 are there these riots? Why why is um why is heat portraying LA in a certain way or why is you know uh whatever else um you know u- usual suspects and to kind of get oh it's because of this whole history and this movie does a really nice job I think of laying it out and it was really eye-opening and I found it to be I love this movie. Like this was amazing and like I did not think a movie this of uh, this length was going to be able to kind of hold my attention. I, I did have to watch it in chunks, but um, man, it's, it's, it's something. And so I just wanted to ask, was Tom, uh, was it Tom Anderson? Is that his name? Yes. Yes. Was he, is he the narrator also? No, he's not. But it's funny because okay. his voice is very similar. It's it's actually this um, guy called Enka, Enka King. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his, his first name correctly, Enka King, but yeah, I mean, that's part of the beauty of it. So I will just say too, um, for people who aren't familiar with the film, it it, it falls under this documentary subgenre called an essay film, which is basically like you're not necessarily beholden to the facts. Um, it can be written like an essay, like from a personal perspective, mm-hmm. and um, and that's what it is. Like the the main essay of the film, he announces it like the thesis at the beginning is basically. Um, you know, I, I feel like I have a right to criticize movies that are in lo- set in Los Angeles because I live here, you know, <laughs> and I, I that and this was done in the early 2000s, by the way. So that that's another interesting mm-hmm. thing of just where it cuts off and like how, you know, L.A. has transformed later on. Um, and he he does do like a follow up essay that's really incredible called um, Collateral Damage, uh, which oh. I, I feel is worth reading. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll probably add the link to in, in the notes. Um, but yeah, like, uh, it, it, it sounds like him. He's also very deadpan. And I mean, that, that's another thing about the movie. You, you have the option to like watch it with its like historical significance and like old, it's such a well-researched film, you know, because yeah. this was also done pre like internet, you know, like, um, this was just like him school you know, going through all these movies, like actually watching them. You you wouldn't have like clips on YouTube that you could just readily access. Um, he did some research historically too. You, so you can watch it as that movie, but you can also enjoy it as like uh, a movie of just like these clips of LA. And and that's the thing. It's like, um, uh, it to me, this is a comfort movie. Like I could have basically done this episode yes. with you without rewatching it because I've, I already <laughs> have internalized a lot of the movie in my head you know 
Um, so it's what were some of like cozy. the movies? Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, the voiceover too. It's kind of like ASMR, <laughs> even it's though he's, he's being so very soothing. cutting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, Steve. Like, what were some of the movies uh, that were featured that like stuck out to you? Like, what were right? Yeah, um, yeah. Trying to pull those out. Like, I didn't really. I tried not to like let the movies or focus on too much the titles and like to, to try to remember them. But I think the, ch- I would say mm-hmm. the chunk of movies that really stand out were the ones that depicted uh bunker Hill in like the forties and fifties. Yes. Like, that's an area I'd always mm-hmm. heard about. I always kind of knew bunker Hill, bunker Hill. And it's a p- area of downtown mm-hmm. where it's now very, yes. Uh, businesses, commercial, there might be yeah. high end multifamily apartments in that area. Now I don't, I'm not totally f- sure. Yeah. Um, um it's mostly commercial. Um, okay. I will say, uh, yeah, like we're we're really getting into like insider stuff. Like, I mean, the movie really hits differently if you're familiar with LA, you know. Yeah. So, um, so for for our listeners who aren't from LA or have never been to LA, like, yeah, we're really gonna be diving deep into like locations, yeah. and <laughs> all these things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, uh, the easiest like landmark for me to um uh to know where bunker hill is is basically the 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 central library so where the central library is and it faces like these these steps that's bunker hill and there's a fountain right. there and then also i think that that building um it's the u.s bank building uh yeah, with that building, like yeah. really silly slide at the top yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is not yeah. worth the money or the weight um yeah, but yeah that silly. that's bunker hill yeah. yeah, and then there's also that um I think it's a historic landmark that small rail line that kind of goes up that hill like uh, uh, up and um, back. I think yes. that's still there. Angel's Flight. Um yeah, yeah, but it's been moved. So it's basically moved right. down south and then uh a little east. It's now actually right outside of Farmers Market. Um, oh, okay. And uh, near Broadway. Okay, so, so, yeah, that's where it so, is. So 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 it's moved out of the Bunker Hill area. Yeah, sure. yeah, it's not in Bunker okay. Hill anymore. But okay. yeah, that's what it was, you. you know, and still there. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, but I, I just want to say that with. So I don't really know. I don't really know the names of the movies. Maybe you can f- fill them in, um, if you want. But just, sure. just seeing that people lived there and that it was kind of a low rent, easy to get around area, um, is like it's so startling to me, um, just from how I know L.A. now. Or, you know, at the time growing up and just um, and that it was so, uh, you know, there were so many movies that shot it. It's so interesting that you can see all those. And I and, and I would say, you know, just to the film's credit with especially with the restoration, I thought the movies all looked really good. You know, um, like um, seeing even even a movie like Blade Runner. For some reason, my, my memory of seeing the movie, I think, was probably a VHS. And so my, my memory of Blade Runner 1982 is that's very grainy and, and you know, it kind of has like that 80s diffusion kind of on the film. Whereas seeing it really pop, it looked amazing. I was like, it was, it was, it was like seeing a new movie. Um, and just um, how many movies, you know, from you know, movies from, from the fifties and sixties through Blade Runner and beyond kind of depict a sad part of LA. Like, like it seems like that the things he kind of highlighted was that a lot of movies either depict the glamorous part of LA, you know, living in the Hills and looking down or they depicted sort of, you know, the quote unquote, you know, the grit of LA, you know, 
the crime scenes and um you know um you know the police and uh and that element and so it it was nice that to also see a mix of movies that depicted the working class and you know like 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 you're saying the people that live in those drive over communities that um you know really to me like that's what like when i think of la i think of dodger fans and oh, yes. think of the people that come that come to a dodger game it's not like i think more the working class people and less the glamour the glamorous people that show up at say a laker game or um sure you know that kind of element and so i think overall the movie i thought did a nice job of showcasing both Glamour LA, gritty LA, and kind of working class LA. Yeah, and it, it kind of progresses through that too, which I like, you know, because uh, it's easy to, I mean, for the the majority of the, the running time, it's just him kind of criticizing all these movies for how yeah. it, it, it depicts LA. But then towards the end, you know, that was really the most surprising thing to me because at that time too, these movies were really hard to find, the, the movies that he features mm-hmm. that he feels like actually accurately portray LA and like what he feels LA really is, you know, or Los Angeles, yeah. sorry. Well, just say, say LA for the sake of convenience, yeah. uh, <laughs> which is like um, one of the funny lines from the movie too, is like, he says that only a city with a, with an inferiority complex would call itself LA. You know? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, there's so many choice lines in it, but yeah, going back to the Bunker Hill thing too, I, I, I do want to highlight two movies that he mm-hmm. points out in the film. And one is Kiss Me Deadly, which is uh, Mickey Spillane, like Mike Hammer, uh, based on a Mike Hammer book, which is uh, directed by Robert Aldrich. And it's basically considered to be the final film noir. Like film noir was like this very L.A. um, like film genre where, you know, it was always like a a main character who's kind of led astray by a femme fatale, you know. So it was it was very much rooted in L.A. And um and you know it kind of had run its course so uh kiss me deadly was like the final film for you know all intents and purposes even though there have been noir films after that but like you know it it really feels like it and it has an amazing ending and then the other movie which he features in the the final part of the the film which is uh, another film that i love is um the exiles Mm -hmm. which is about like native americans who, who were displaced from arizona and they moved to Bunker Hill, you know, and it, it shows it's like got beautiful night photography. Yeah. It's made by Kent McKenzie. And it was um, I think also this film had a lot to do with actually drawing attention back to it. And like it got restored after um, I think it was depicted in this film, which was beautiful. Um, it's still I think it, it needs to be brought back into people's consciousness again. It's kind of faded away. Uh, I think it deserves another release. Uh, maybe a, it, I don't think it's ever been released on Blu-ray. Um, but yeah, they they really depict um, uh, Bunker Hill in in such a unique way, and it's like a time capsule, you know. And because um, Kent McKenzie also followed it up with a documentary showing how they destroyed Bunker Hill, because Bunker Hill basically it took like um, maybe two uh, a decade 
to uh to completely like be leveled you know um so that's why he was also pointing out with like disaster movies that a lot of movies were set in bunker hill in the 70s because it was like it looked post-apocalyptic like (laughs) the most notable being uh the omega man with uh charlton heston which i still haven't Mm -hmm. seen now i that was the other thing about watching it again was like i made a list of movies that was like man yeah this is a blind spot for me i gotta go back and and see this um but yeah, also just um, tying into the idea of like it being an essay and a historical artifact mm-hmm. that, you know, you can learn something about L.A. from this film, too. It's not just like fun um, watching all these movie clips like he dispels a lot of of myths, you know, which I yeah. love. And the two most prominent ones are the one that like basically all the water from the Owens Valley was stolen uh, in order to to give water to L.A. and build it as a city and basically like cause a drought in Owens Valley and like, you know, um, force the people to sell their land, you know. Um, so he, he actually disputes that. And um, he even shows like news articles showing that, no, like actually people were OK with it. Like they approved the aqueduct. Like it was all like, you know, uh, on board, like everybody s- saw what was happening. And it was the same thing with them, um, with the the ruining of the public transport system, you know, that right. apparently like Los Angeles had like a great public transport system, like mm-hmm. in the forties uh, to the fifties, well, basically until the freeways came around and then basically the auto, there's some sort of conspiracy that the automobile industry was like, well, we're building these freeways. Like people want to take cars, you know, 20 minutes from downtown to Santa Monica. Like that's really the thing. Yeah. And, you know, just uh, corrupted the the transport system and it was ruined. But the, the truth of the matter is that actually like um yeah the public transport system sucked like it, mm. it was always breaking down like um there was also not that many people like actually taking it so there was no right. support for it and um you know it, it's been in the news recently because of you know the expansion of the subway system in los angeles uh, getting ready for the 2028 olympics um that like oh you know like once uh LA now has this expansive subway system that allows you to get from one point of the city to the other. Uh, you know, people will take it, but they did a survey and people still prefer to just drive their cars, you know, and have that privacy and also the freedom to go any direction you want because the the subway is fairly linear. It only goes like north, south, east, west. You know, there's no subway yeah. line in LA that goes diagonally. So, right. um, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a real issue. Is just um, and I and I think the movie does a good job of highlighting it. Is uh, getting into like, well, what were people thinking? And I know that that's kind of a hard thing to kind of put together. You know, you, you know, it's it's very psycho, uh, or it's you know, it's a lot of psychology there. Um, one of the things that that you know, kind of piggybacking on that that I found interesting was um, he you know, there, there's a section in the movie I think it's towards the end where he talks about um public housing and about how yes. there was like a a huge kind of smear campaign or i don't know if that's the right term but just um you know the press the politicians were all kind of against public housing saying that it was or and the what they were using to kind of downplay it was that it was communist and yep, you know and the and, red scare and, and so that yeah and so that's an element of like of i don't know at that it, I guess it makes sense, but it's not something that's talked of that much that it's like, yeah, why isn't there a lot of maybe a ho- affordable housing in certain areas or, and that, um, you know, the red scare, you know, or 
yeah, just um, that, that that was a, a talking point to downplay that. Whereas I think now, you know, in, in many city planning or sorry, in, in, um, in both urban planning and city council meetings and development, like there, there's a big push for affordable housing and public housing and all these kinds of things. But it's kind of it's in everyone's psyches to kind of not, you know, not want it um, or not want it in their neighborhood or something like that. So it's like, it, it, it's yeah, yeah, it's kind of to, to see that filter in into the movies of this time. Yeah. And I mean, the depth of the research really shows through that sequence because um, yeah. he's basically ragging on L.A. Confidential, which is a movie that I, I enjoy watching a oh, lot. Yeah. Um, but I understand his criticism is valid and fair. Um, but at the same time, like he says that, well, actually, no, it was uh, the, the corruption was never like this, because I mean, that's another thing that he points out is that a lot of these conspiracy theories about L.A., simply aren't true because they were happening in plain sight you know and with the police corruption it was actually a lot worse because um with the public housing thing it was uh, one of the main like proponents against it was um uh william parker who was the police chief of the lapd at that time so it wasn't like they were uh like la confidential depicts like um that they were taking over organized crime, they were actually controlling everything else, like in terms of infrastructure and all of that. Like they had, they played a part in that, and that's even worse than actually some sort of nefarious, like you know, under under the table dealings. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's like a a mafia a mafia yeah. deal here. Right. Um, the other part of the movie that I, I really liked, you know, or, or at least you know, like was it was. Uh, and you kind of touched on it earlier was just you you learn a lot like i didn't know so i didn't know that jack nicholson had written a movie <laughs> so they talked about this movie from 1967 the trip yes and it looked like it, it looked like a very like um i, I, I don't want to say like a druggy kind of a movie but it's it kind is of a, a drama it's <laughs> Okay, it, it is, is a kind movie. of a druggy yeah. movie. It stars it stars Peter Fonda. It looks like Bruce Dern's in it. Dennis Hopper, but yeah, written by Jack Nicholson, directed by Roger Corman. Yes, and it's just like I. That's one of those where it's like I would not have put any of that together, and 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 to see that it was like an L. Like I like I guess I always associated with Jack Jack Nicholson as being an L. A. guy. Yeah, I mean courtside kind of seats at Laker games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. And it is to see him write or to know now that he's written a movie kind of about a scene in, in, in Los Angeles. It's like, it kind of brings it all home. It's like, Oh, okay. You know, it's like, this is his origin, you know? Yeah. The, I, I really feel like there's an untapped uh, period in, in Nicholson's career, which was early on, you know, when he was doing these like kind of, uh, I want to say hippie psychedelic movies i mean you know he was also an easy writer I'm, I'm not sure actually if he co-wrote easy writer or not um i'll have to check but um but yeah like uh he he really was part of it he was also in this amazing like kind of existential western called the shooting um and he he's incredible in it you know so he had this early career where he was like in a lot of low budget movies a lot of them with roger corman um and yeah i mean the the sequences in in that I, the trip i'll say like i haven't seen it yet but it's on my list uh yeah. i just remember like i was supposed to watch it one time and then like it just fell through um but yeah that they actually i can't remember the guy's name now but they actually hired somebody to do the like the trippy sequences in the movie 
you know um so yeah I, i'm i'm definitely fascinated by that movie and i yeah it's on my list i added it um on this yeah. go around of watching it as like to definitely one to watch i mean um you know another movie that i actually ended up watching because of this uh go around of watching it was a uh, cobra with sylvester stallone uh have you seen it a long time ago yeah <laughs> oh man steve i fucking love this movie <laughs> And I mean the you know the the L- LA uh, Los Angeles plays itself really rags on it a couple of times. So one is that you know it's like Sylvester Stallone playing um, you know a dandy cop you know <laughs> who always has a, a a matchstick as like a toothpick yeah. and um, uh, yeah and the thing about it is that uh, uh, he also talks about like how cops often live by the beach you know so he has a house in Venice. And then uh, the main one, which is the egregious one, because he oh, he hates like basically movies taking geographical liberties, because um, this is only something that you will understand if you live in L.A. Like other people won't get it that it's like you can't go from basically there's a chase scene in Cobra, which takes it starts in downtown. It ends up in the Venice canals and then finally in like the L.A. docks, like in San Pedro. Yeah. It's like <laughs> you cannot traverse that in like no. a span of a day even like, you know? yeah. <laughs> like a car chase <laughs> yeah. um so yeah and it, would, it makes I mean, no I, geographical I, I, sense. I would love to, i would love to make a day of that and just you know and just and just have a day <laughs> from downtown to 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 venice to the ports but yeah that's yeah it's yeah. uh it's not going to happen in a chase scene no no absolutely but i mean it's to me this is why i love cobra is because it's so absurd like I couldn't yeah. take the movie seriously at all. Like to me, yeah. it was just like campy and like, um, yeah. I just viewed it as a comedy, and I was laughing all the way through the movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, I it's even sad to to realize too that the, there's actually like uh, a longer cut of the movie because they I guess they were contracted to make like an hour and yeah. a half movie, but like apparently there's oh. like a two hour, three hour cut oh, wow. or something. And I would love to see that restored, like yeah. the the extended cut because um. Uh, you know, it does skimp a little on the violence because it is about like yeah. a serial killer and the killings yeah. are kind of, you feel like it, it's been cut short, like cut for the rating or whatever it is. Right. Um, well, hold on. Yeah. so I, I do have a, a question about this. So when when Cobra came out, it looks like it came out in 86. Do you mm-hmm. think the, the audiences at that time were wanting a movie like that and were viewing it like this is a serious police movie? you know, a, a police chase kind of a, a, a movie? Or do you think the audiences at that time were wanting something campier and that this is a movie that like satiated that kind of an audience? Like, like, I, I, like, I guess, how intentional do you think the camp is? Um, I, I don't think it's intentional at all. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, yeah. I can't really speculate yeah. what the audiences were like, but it seems like if we were just viewing it as a trend, I mean, the eighties were just the heyday of American action films and there's so many of them, but like, it really mm-hmm. stands out to me compared to like the typical action film that was coming around out at that time, because well, one it's written by Stallone himself, you know, speaking of like actors or screenwriters, like, yeah, he, sure. he even wrote the original Rocky and directed a few of them too. So, um, yeah, yeah he, he, he did it himself and um i think there's something there's almost like a sadness to the film too i i feel as much as i i found it really funny uh about like 
you know, his character and like how disconnected he has to be in order to do his job. You know, uh, and the performance by Stallone is incredible too, by the way. Like, um, uh, it, uh, the whole sequence in, in Los Angeles plays itself where he, he covers Dragnet is amazing because he talks about yes. how, um, Jack Webb, the creator and the, the guy who plays Joe Friday in the Dragnet yeah. TV show, like he has this kind of transcendence that he compares to Ozu and Brisson. And that's actually how I felt about uh, Stallone's performance. I was like, man, oh. Robert Brisson would be proud of this performance because Robert Brisson is known for like um, these really restrained performances, you know, from his actors. He doesn't even like to call them actors. He calls them models. And he would often cast like uh, non-professionals and he would have them act in a certain way. And I felt like Stallone's performance would have been perfect for a Brisson film. <laughs> Um, yeah. but yeah, like I, I just felt like it was part of a wave. Um, it's produced yeah. by uh, Golan Globus, those two guys who were basically canon films. So they they produced mm-hmm. like actually quite a a diverse bunch of movies in the eighties. You know, they also produced like a John Cassavetes film, Love Streams, and they produced a Godard film. But yeah, they were known for like oh. these canon action films. Okay. But yeah, unintentionally, I feel like the it this movie's some sort of miracle because. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I heard things like basically Stallone actually directed most of the scenes that he's in, you know, and then that um, uh, the director, George uh, Cosmatos, I'm, I'm mispronouncing his name, um, like he he was basically an assistant director to <laughs> Stallone, but, you know, he would only direct when Stallone wasn't in the scene, you know, so, um, yeah, uh, I, I, cool. I feel like it was just part of a wave, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Where, where, yeah, where action films were just getting more and more ridiculous or getting pushed. Kind yeah, of yeah. And then it kind of peaked, I think, uh, a couple years later with uh, Die Hard, which is also featured prominently in, in Los Angeles plays itself. And what, mm. what I find fascinating about the, the value that it finds in Die Hard is that um, it's this idea that, uh, you know, these Japanese corporations were buying up buildings in the 80s and, um, you know, tying to, to Blade Runner, it imagines a future where it's just a complete Japanese takeover. Like, you know, which obviously never happened. You know, we, we already yeah. passed the Blade Runner year, which was 2019. And the, yeah. there's not that much Japanese presence. Yeah. It is interesting to kind of see, like, was that like post-World War II kind of sentiment that was still reminiscent in the culture at that time? You know, to kind of be fearful of the Japanese? Because I feel like that's now subsided in the culture still has fear of other countries mm-hmm. but japan is now considered you know a strong ally yeah yeah no i think it was the opposite it was the embracing of that culture because you know mm. uh so much of what we we got from japan were like portable music players you know walkmans uh game consoles you know these are all japan imports and like actually making technology smaller which was incredible so um yeah oh, okay. i think it was more yeah. the love for that and then you know the corporations moving in i can't really recall oh, like yeah historically why like it never took off but um yeah die hard is an incredible la movie um and the the building the nakatomi plaza building it was like the the fox building and i don't know if disney still kept it since they bought 20th Mm. century fox uh but yeah that building is an incredible work of art Mm. i mean that is the other beauty of of the film and is how it depicts the architecture in la and i wanted to ask you actually um like what are some of your favorite like buildings or places in LA? Oh, the ones that still exist um, <laughs> or don't exist. So like the, the things that still exist, 
if, if we're just going to use that category, there's like this huge white house that's in the valley. It's along the 101. It's kind of near the Winnetka exit. It's like as you're kind of driving on the 101, you see this huge white building. And um, there's a podcast called 818s and Heartbreak, which kind of uh, went deep into this building and, and i can put, put a link in the notes i forget exactly what it is i think I, I think it's ultimately some kind of just commercial office building at this point but it has some so, some sort of historic designation it, it goes back to like the 40s and the 50s so whatever that white house is it might it might just be called that like the white house or the white building um so so there's that and then what's depicted in the movie that i found interesting you know are some of the stuff that's that's no longer around like the pan pacific auditorium yes oh yeah you know they, they kind of showcase that as like i think i think they were mainly showing concerts or different kinds of events that were occurring there but i think that's no longer there and so just to kind of see that venue they also showed oh um the hollywood park baseball field yes yes which i, I believe at, at the time that at the time they, they either had like a minor league team or something yeah. just to kind of see you know, because of, you know, now, you know, we're so used to the crypto.com arena <laughs> and the Dodger Stadium right. and, and, and these. And now there's a now we have a, a, a like a state of the art football stadium. But just to kind of see these old remnants of like what used to draw everyone for 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 decades, you know, that's no longer there. And then also, you know, um, they showed uh, they showed what was the the building was it is it the ambassador hotel yes. that um bobby kennedy was shot mm -hmm. yeah yeah which also now doesn't exist like it, it's also been yeah. leveled um I, I don't know if it like became a high school or something but yeah it's gone yeah, yeah there's no more yeah. hotel even though that was really that's a fascinating thing that i like too about the movies how it highlighted locations that just became filming locations and i've, I've driven yeah. past a few of them too um like uh yeah, that that Johnny's broiler on Wilshire that's like right by LACMA and now the the Academy Museum. Um, yeah, it's still there. Yeah, <laughs> and I yeah. didn't even realize that it actually functioned as a restaurant, a cafe, at one point, which right. the movie says. Uh, but it didn't have that spinning sign outside. Um, and right. now, oh yeah, yeah, and there's like a, a restaurant that has like painted on it as seen in the movie rush Hour. yes yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah which i think is in, in chinatown um yeah yeah so yeah they, that's becomes the value of those locations actually i've never seen the it highlights a a, a mcdonald's in city of industry that's only made used in movies for movies yeah and uh yeah. you know obviously being in west covina we're right next door to the city of industry and um I never yeah I've never seen it like I I want to seek it out now and see where that McDonald's Wait, is is it city of industry or is it Culver City it's city of industry yeah I'm I'm positive <laughs> yeah um and then yeah like actually um I guess this is another little tie-in um you know when I came back to, to California in 2018 and I was still like kind of figuring out how I was gonna support myself financially I I, I drove for Lyft and Uber and that was like a big part of getting to know the city, you know, mm. and um, in a way too, that, that's another thing that the movie highlights is that um, you, um, it's like a rite of passage to learn how to drive. And like, it's the only yeah. way to really traverse the city because, you know, otherwise you're reliant on public transport. You're almost like invisible as a pedestrian. 
you know um but yeah like i i felt like i came full circle because i learned from your dad how to drive and wasn't your dad also a, a cab driver my dad yeah he he spent part of his life as a, a city cab driver in la um and then also then the last part of his life he was a driver's ed instructor so he taught hundreds of kids how to drive he taught me how to drive stick and then i remember i i subsequently taught like at least five members of the family how to drive stick after after that so yeah he's a he, so yeah and arguably going you know nobody knows the the city better than gig workers you know so someone like you who's have who's had to drive all over town or my dad you know like you know it better than most people yeah it's crazy and i mean th that's the other thing about tom anderson that i learned that he was also a cab driver at one point so that's why oh. he knows la so well is because that's of that good. because yeah that's the only way because you exit the freeway a lot more frequently you know obviously when you yeah. you you decide to go on a drive you have a set de destination and you just go there you don't take any detours you know uh, no unexpected oh, yeah. stops whereas yeah when you you become a cab driver that's it. It can take you to these all these different places. And I, you know, my appreciation really comes from like actually distinguishing between the neighborhoods and their different characters, you know, um, like what makes them unique. And uh, you know, just going back to those like locations that only serve as movie locations, there was one point that um my uh my my drive actually took me out to um like Palmdale, which is you know, um yeah. like middle of nowhere. It's really hard to access. Like, there's only one freeway that goes there, and you can only access it like by going north, then east. Mm. Or then yeah. East, yeah, there's no like straight, straight like uh, north south um, way down from it. And I was like, um, when I was there and I was doing rides, I was like, oh man, I should check out this motel that's like featured in Swordfish, and I had learned from Los Angeles places. So, and when I looked it up on the map, it was still like maybe an hour away or something like that uh, like that's how huge yeah. palmdale is like it yeah. was so like out of the way like it's crazy um but yeah that's just really it like i learned to appreciate the neighborhoods because of of you know driving a cab and you know going back to um to his follow-up to this movie like his essay collateral damage that's one of the things that he kind of um he covers uh collateral which is a movie by michael mann where Jamie Foxx plays a cab driver and you know he he has some criticisms about it as well because you know in in Los Angeles plays itself he he really rags on heat <laughs> um so you know he, uh, I, the knives were out for for collateral too but there's certain things that he did appreciate about it especially because you know he I mean uh, collateral was one of the first movies to to be shot digitally in that way um with high def and like he loves how uh it captures like dusk and that made me realize like yeah. man yeah some of the best sunsets i've experienced are down here in socal like you know we really do have maybe it's the smog or something like michael mann has a poetic way of, of describing it um uh but yeah it's just yeah sunsets are Magical. just beautiful you know yeah so yeah just going back to like learning how to drive um especially from your dad, you know, he was so, so calm, you know, that was really the thing that like put me at ease when I was driving and, you know, like he's the reason why I can safely make a left turn. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, because he yeah. basically taught me not to feel pressured by the light changing, you know, this like to wait mm -hmm. it out 
and you know just make it you know even if it turns red you're fine as long as you know you, you start making the turn and also just like yeah. uh, th- that little trick of pulling up to be close enough to like be aligned to the the street that you're you're turning into right it was just great and it's just funny how like i laughed out loud in in the the scene from from grand canyon <laughs> that's depicted grand canyon yeah, yeah. and then that line that the kevin klein says where it's like he says um Making a left turn in LA is one of the hardest things you can learn in life. <laughs> totally. That that was really cool to see shown and I'm really happy you had that memory. I didn't I didn't know about that, but also yeah, I I concur. My dad was a great teacher. He had great patience. Um and also my dad had a really good v- voice. And w- just a little side story about him. I remember he would be in the cab, you know, and he you know, so he'd meet you know, he'd pick up people all over town. And, and I remember him coming home one day and having a story about how he met some producer, you know, on a ride. And just in talking, this person was like, you should do voiceover. And, and, and was like, I, I, you know, maybe had, had maybe taken a step to see if my dad was at, at all interested. My dad being as kind of shy as he was, I'm sure he, he said, Oh, I don't know about that. But it was something that he kind of like thought about, you know, like in the back of his head. It was as like, oh, I wonder if I could do the voiceover, you know. I know, and it, um, it's just a shame, like yeah. in this era that we're now doing all these podcasts. Like he would have been a great yeah. guest, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, his voice. Yeah, his voice is nice and clear. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. But, um, Dave Bush. The other so. Th- my the other kind of thing that i learned and this is something that you probably already knew i kind of feel foolish for not knowing but now it makes total sense they are you know in the movie they mention all the random signs that you see if you're if you live in if if you live in los angeles you're driving around you'll see a sign that just says it'll be pot pink yes it'll say boys and it'll have an arrow or it'll say just a weird phrase and an arrow and i always kind of like was like what are this? Is, is this like street art? Like what uh, is this like remnants of an old yard sale? And just to kind of learn, no, duh, the, this is, it's pointing film crews in the direction of some shoot that the production team has set up all over town and, you know, um, that they can quickly take down, you know, like, like, I don't know how, you know, I don't necessarily know the process. I'm sure if we talk to someone, anyone in production, they can explain it, but just to kind of have explained what those signs are, was like, Oh, I was like, Oh wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I guess this is another underrated aspect of the movie is that it's not just all um, like film clips. There are actual mm-hmm. bits where they, they go out and they film yeah. uh, like original footage. And that was one of the sequences and it's shot by Deborah Stratman, by the way. And it looks amazing. It was shot on film. And um, yeah, it was one of those things I, I knew. And then I also know that they tried to shorten the titles as much as possible or use like a code uh, for the title, because obviously if people knew that they were shooting like Batman, you know, it would draw a crowd. So the whole idea is to make it as like general as possible. Like, I mean, yeah, one of the funniest signs is the one where it's like on a picnic grounds and it says crimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, but it, it 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 is this idea too of just like how temporary so many things are in the city, you know, because in terms of like preserving and protecting, like there's a ridiculous like landmark law 
in LA, which basically means that you have to preserve like facades of movie theaters, even if it isn't going to be a movie theater. I mean, one example that you're probably familiar with is the Barnes and Noble on Ventura Boulevard. Yeah, it it still yeah. has the facade of uh, it says Star, like it's a movie theater, but it's it's a yeah. bookstore. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah. like uh, all the venue, the music venues in downtown LA, which were old movie theaters on Broadway. Like, yeah, they're all music venues now. Only I think um, uh, the Ace Hotel uh, is the only one that still kind of plays movies every now and then. But yeah, they yeah. were they were these old movie palaces, but they're forced to like preserve them as that because yeah. of the landmark law and it is just kind of backwards because it's just like well yeah why are you like preserving just the look of it you know for for appearances sake yeah. but you're not actually preserving film because i mean that is another thing uh that actually tom anderson talks about in his book in writings of just how there was a film culture in los angeles like when he was coming up mm-hmm. And yeah, it's kind of a bygone age. Like um, it just doesn't really exist anymore other than, yeah, people, um, you know, going to see the latest blockbuster. There's all these multiplexes and you'll get hints of it. Like, uh, let's say with the new Beverly with with Tarantino's theater, that's kind of brought back an interest for repertory. But like, um, you know, one of the greatest film programs in Los Angeles was the LACMA film program and RIP, it's gone now. They've already torn down the theater and I think they've moved all their their screenings to the Academy Museum. And obviously that's going to change too. But yeah, it was like a great way to like see world cinema or films that I I wouldn't have normally access to, you know, um, back then. But yeah, that's just the thing. It's like uh, LA just has a weird way of preserving itself, you know? (laughs) Right. And then, yeah, and then just to kind of piggyback on that, I guess it's kind of the flip side was... I didn't realize that there was movies about the the, deterior, the deterioration of L.A. going back to the 70s. Mm-hmm. Like, like people are, were already talking about L.A. like um, being torn apart and showing it. Whereas I, I definitely remember that being in the zeitgeist when I was a kid. And so it's just interesting to, just to see how long there's there's been this narrative of both the glamour of LA and the, the teardown of LA, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it, it and they kind of have been happening kind of concurrently, yeah. you know, for, and, and not just recently, but going back 50, 60 mm-hmm. years. And yeah, I love how he ties it in with the disaster movies, you know, like that's how they showed it. It's like, yeah. okay, if, you, if this is going to be reduced to rubble, let's make a disaster movie around this thing, you know? Um, and there's yeah. there's actually a quote in the disaster movie section that I really love that actually like it resonates today. It was like eerily prescient. So uh, I want to read this quote. It, it goes like this. Hmm. Disaster movies remind us of how foolish and helpless we really are and thus demonstrate our need for professionals and experts to save us from ourselves. They define the sources of legitimate authority. We must depend on specialists. But who can we who can uh, which one can we trust? <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean that's very poignant. yeah ah, man that's just wild <laughs> um i do I'll, i i kind of want to touch on the um the fear of police aspect sure. that was shown i didn't realize that dragnet was so was such an one an la kind of mo- uh genre you know or or series and then two just um, I didn't realize how Joe Friday was so kind of uh, indignant to the citizens. <laughs> like that was really interesting to kind of see that portrayed through the humor of Dragnet and that 
through the narration of Los Angeles plays itself, kind of the show that the way that Joe Friday was characterized was sort of as, in a way, the ideal for an LAPD officer to kind of um, look down on the citizens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, and, the description of him was like very fitting. It was like, he thinks like a computer and speaks like a robot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, and I guess it's it's a credit to the performance of Joe Friday that um you know it resonated that it was humorous and fun, but it's also a little bit insidious and kind of like a psyop, right? You know, in a way of uh, yeah, and like um, I mean, my first exposure to Dragnet was actually the the movie remake with um with Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks, and I really enjoyed that Tom movie, Hanks, yeah. you know. Um, but I didn't realize what it was it was based on that show and like what. Dan Aykroyd had based his performance in and seeing the Jack Webb performance especially when he and they highlight in Los Angeles plays itself that the it was like the resurrection of the show like in the late 60s where it was clashing with the the hippie culture like those sequences were just incredible you know and it's it's like oh man I gotta go see this like I I just discovered it's on (laughs) Amazon you just have to watch it like with ads <laughs> but oh, I'm okay. definitely I I want to see this like show where Dragnet. yeah Dragnet clashing with uh, this this new age hippie culture, you know totally and uh, yeah yeah go ahead and then and then, and I guess yeah just how drag you know going from something like Dragnet then through all the way to you know L A Confidential you know just to kind of show you know um and and I think you you kind of already touched on it there's there's both a, a, a narrative of the corruption of the police department but i think what you were echoing earlier is that it's just indi- uh, indicative of just an overall overarching corruption that of just how everything was run in maybe even in plain sight yeah yeah and like um that people are just powerless to to you know go against it or they just go with it because they yeah, they're they're afraid. You know, that was one of the things that the movie yeah. depicts is like, you know, the, the it's a police force, you know. <laughs> so it's like, why would you stand up against it? You just want to be on your best behavior, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, you don't want to do anything yeah. wrong when a cop is around, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's like, totally. um, I, even though recently, obviously, with events, worldwide events, or even just countrywide events, like there has been more pushback towards cops and all of those things like uh i think there's a very sensitive um uh like people are more when whenever they depict cops now in movies they they're kind of aware of that and they're they they have to like um you know make concessions or caveats when portraying cops you know but yeah like i love the different types of cops that the movie highlights like oh there's the psycho cop you know the the um the cop who hates dogs (laughs) (laughs) the tim robbins character from shortcuts um but yeah i mean even that like his his criticism of shortcuts was interesting because um you know he uh robert altman was saying that he wanted to depict what la was but like um yeah the movie says uh, like Los Angeles plays itself so that Hollywood filmmakers had trouble like portraying outside of their neighborhoods, you know, like the actual neighborhoods that um, are in the basin, like nobody lives in the hills or on the beach, you know, and that's actually another thing that Tom Anderson points out is one of the virtues of collateral is that there's no scenes by the beach and there's no scenes (laughs) with people living in the hills. It's all like in the basin where most of us live, you know, uh, if you live in LA or you live in the valley, you know it's one of those two yeah. things. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, the, the the whole cop aspect of it was yeah, it was brilliantly done. I mean, even the 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 whole thing of um uh like what kind of police force has like its motto in quotes, you know, to protect and serve. Like yeah. that was that was hilarious. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, and I think um just to kind of uh bring it back to I guess my own experience of growing up in LA. A lot of movies don't depict these things, but the movies that do, you know, the the movies that depict the strip malls, you know, just like how there's just one strip mall after another strip mall after another, you know, so, sort of an outdoor commercial area anchored by a gas station or anchored by a fast food, you know, any anything that shows that shows my experience, you know, any movie that shows hanging out in backyards, hot afternoons hot evenings like that's that's my memories of what it's actually like in la it's like you know like su- you know summers be- being excruciatingly hot in the san fernando valley and then at night just being amazing like just like every night just like it's like in the 80s and you're just like wow how is it that how is it so nice at 11 8, 11 p.m every night yeah know? yeah for sure yeah. and i mean one of the quotes again that he brings up is like from uh from roman polanski about like you know how the city looks beautiful at night uh, i want to get this one right mm-hmm. it says there's no more beautiful city in the world provided it's seen by night and from a distance <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so yeah good. yeah I, I, I love and that. yeah that that's probably um, my favorite sequence yeah. in the documentary is the the highlight of tourist cinema of like how some of the best LA movies are from like foreigners, you know, who who came here and um, made movies about the city because they focus on those details that other people just take for granted. And I'll, I'll freely admit that's my first go around living in in LA. That's how I felt like I just took everything for granted. Like I was just like, you know, I'm. I'm driving functionally. I'm not paying attention to my surroundings. I'm not like, I don't care about like these, these architecture, um, like, uh, yeah, all these things, but these, these tourists, they, they definitely focus on that. And like, um, uh, like, yeah, some of the movies that he highlights are um, incredible. Like, uh, one of one of my favorites because of this movie is a model shop, uh, mm. which is, uh, this movie by Jacques Demy. It's his only English language, uh, film, um, and there's there's a uh, you'll probably remember this bit where um, uh, the main character I think played by Gary Lockwood he talks about like um, going to uh, like driving up on, he was driving on the Sunset Strip and then he just drives off on one of those canyon roads and then um, he gets this view of the city and like he says like I can't believe like people would think that this is ugly you know like I mean to me it's pure poetry you know just appreciating the geometry of it yeah. you know uh it, it's really a brilliant film it, i mean i'm glad like now it's a little more accessible people can find it. it's it got like a great soundtrack by the band spirit too um and it's worth seeking out and uh, <laughs> there's actually another part too i just remembered the where uh he there's a line where he says um people who hate la love point blank <laughs> yeah oh, and point blank yeah. is one of my favorite movies and I, I i wouldn't say like i hate la i would say i'm ambivalent towards it you know there's parts of it that I love and parts of it that, uh, you know, I have issues with for sure. Um, and you know, with you, Steve, like you now moved out of LA, you're out of state. Like, how do you feel about LA now? Um, I, I still look back on it very fondly. I think it's, it's, it's a city that it's overly hyped and overly trashed. It's kind of for it's, it's both a punching bag for other places. Um, 
you know, to kind of point out, I think largely because of Hollywood, the reputations of Hollywood in California, and then just like it gets combined there. Um, But it's also, it's, it's, um, God, it was a great place to grow up. I think a lot of people don't realize that people actually live there and don't just move there to pursue their dreams and then leave. Um, It was, it was like, it's, it's magical. It's fun. And it's, there's endless things to discover, you know, like you can discover one element, you come back at a different time in your life and discover another element. And, um, so I, I still look back very fondly and I, I have nothing, but I think good things really to like say about it, unless you, unless I'm asked specifically, what don't you like about it? So yeah, you know, that, that's my main, you know, you know, the main thing kind of watching it was, you know, I, I was kind of left with kind of a melancholy feeling for the city. And I was kind of left with, oh, there's a lot of movies that depict either, you know, and and obviously this is just, this is just the way that you know, most movies work. They, you know, movies set in L.A., there's like either a crime or a murder or some mystery or they're talking about like the poor elements of, of L.A. or something tragic. So it kind of can kind of, or the ego of LA. And so it can kind of cast it in a certain way, but ultimately, you know, it's, it's, it's most people are just trying, are just working class people in LA and just trying to enjoy it, you know, go to work, eat, watch a Laker (laughs) game or watch a Dodger game at home and, and, um, you know, hang out with your friends and that's no different than anywhere else. It's, it's just for, because of the, the narratives of so many, so much media, they kind of get skewed to either be overly gritty or overly um, e- egotistical, and th- that element certainly exists. But yeah. I'd say most people are, are are still in the middle. Yeah, for sure. And I, I I think that's the beauty of the documentary is that it it, it values that that um you know that most of us are working class and that we you know we live in the basin. And that we're not part yeah. <laughs> of the industry, you know, like, um, or have any ambitions to be part of the industry. They just live there and getting on with their lives and how it focuses on those neighborhoods. Because, I mean, you know, some of the things about L.A. that I I, I won't really say are like a criticism, but just what makes it stand out from other cities is one that it doesn't have a center. You know, like the center is basically where you're at and where, you know, right. how you you distinguish the distances between that center, you know, you know, I mean, some will people, some people will say downtown is the center, but like even geographically, it's not, it's on the East side, it's not. you know? Um, and uh, yeah, like the, the, you were saying about like just knowing the neighborhoods where you live and rarely venturing out, you know, other than like yeah. for some sort of purpose, you know, yeah. and it, to get that kaleidoscope in this movie and just like, even, you know, it, it it's kind of anecdotal how it says it, but he just says like that it kind of grew from neighborhoods kind of eating each other up and expanding, you know, yeah. like that's what, that that's basically how it became what it is, oh, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, yeah, it really is a city of the future. It's a decentralized, I don't want to say crypto <laughs> kind of a, a, a city, but it is, you know, there's nodes obviously, but, the, but no node is more important than the other nodes, you know, of this network, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I would say what, what's missing and, and maybe you would know if, if, if there is a movie that's like this, what I would love is a Patterson style <laughs> movie 
about LA where it's like someone who's just chilling is happy is experiencing the different elements but it's not you know he's uh they're not um having an issue getting from area to area they're enjoying what their neighborhood or what the different neighborhoods has to offer there's a a, a mini narrative arc but again it's not but it's not the same LA movie of crime or um, ego or glamour or whatever it's just like it's just a nice Patterson style hangout movie that um kind of shows the joy of living it, it, it you know yeah in LA. yeah for sure and I mean you know that there is that burden because of Hollywood like looming large that uh as much as I guess this is I'm speaking from personal experience like meeting other independent filmmakers like even if they they claim to be indie and all these things like the influence of of making a narrative movie in you know they just basically want to make hollywood movies that are lower budget you know like yeah. that that <laughs> still influences their perspective yeah. so to find like filmmakers that actually have unique perspectives of la and they do exist you know and uh, i think that's a good segue too in terms of like uh us like listing our our favorite la movies and I, oh, yeah. I, I deliberately like um, picked movies that weren't featured in in this movie, you know, because either because oh, they yeah. were made after the movie was done, or um, actually I wanted to link that to the my letterbox list of uh, Los Angeles continuing to play itself. Um, but yeah, the uh, just addressing that that idea of like a Patterson type movie. I mean, that's one of my favorite actual subgenres of of LA movies. Is just these movies that kind of depict characters driving around aimlessly and you know it's hinted at in uh like once upon a time in america in hollywood you know there's there's aspects of that but you know it's it's mo- right movies that basically like um tarantino had seen and he was taking from so uh one of them is uh yeah uh, actually based on a novel by an author who recently passed away r.i.p joan didion so uh play it as it lays uh which was a novel by her starring tuesday weld and anthony perkins and yeah, that's an incredible driving movie. Um, and yeah, there are events in it and it's kind of done in a kind of fractured way. Uh, it's also directed by Frank Perry, who's like a director. I feel that's been kind of getting more uh, like recognition lately. Um, he wasn't really like a director that people considered to be an auteur during his time. But now, like I think with the releases of his film, this is one of the films of his that still hasn't kind of gotten a release. Like I, I think the way I saw it was like it was ripped from a TV, <laughs> like oh. uh, showing, and yeah. you know that's the best that we can get <laughs> of it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another one is a uh, Dusty and Sweets McGee, uh, okay. which uh, actually also discovered through Tom Anderson because he writes about it, and uh, it is about like drug addicts. But there's so many like moments where yeah, it's just them driving around the city and like these beautiful sequences of of driving, you know? Um, and I think that's the way to do it. I mean, Patterson does have like the bus driving sequences, but to have the, I love also how Los Angeles plays itself describes like your car as like a semi public space because you're out in public, but it's also private at the same time. Right. You know? Um, yeah. And then, uh, like, I don't know if, um, because it was made also around the time that Tom Anderson was making this, but it's made by a friend of his and a colleague of his at CalArts, um, James Benning. Uh, he made actually three films. It's called the California Trilogy, but the middle film is just called Los. Like, instead of Los Angeles, it's just Los. 
And yeah, it depicts like the greater Los Angeles. And the beauty of these three films is that they're all done in, it was a, a point in James Benning's career where he wanted to go back to like how movies started, you know, before narrative was introduced. And he also set this rule for himself because this is something that James Benning does where he um, he will um, uh, set like a time frame or, or some sort of parameter within a shot. So for this one, he was like, okay, each shot is going to be two and a half minutes long, um, which was the length of an old film reel, you know, when when silent films started. Um, so he he makes the this beautiful like documentary which is just observational of him filming something for two and a half minutes and it's a great portrait of la it encompasses almost all the city it even yeah. goes as far as orange county at one point um yeah but it, it's a really beautiful film and yeah it's my favorite la film nice. yeah good yeah cool. so how about you steve what all are right. your all right so favorites? so i i too teach you to it I've seen guys smashing through bricks. Fantastic. Can your men do that? <laughs> I accidentally hit a button on the oh, soundboard. I played a clip from that. That was from Snake in the Eagle's Shadow. <laughs> that was the uh, fat kid. Oh my god! I gotta see this dub version. Teach uh, Chewy. Yeah, it's Teach uh, Chewy. <laughs> All right. Anyways, I'll just I'll I'll leave that in for posterity. Sure. Um, okay. So you asked me to also come up with my favorite LA movies. These ones I think are, are, are just the ones that come up when, when uh, for me are like the most enjoyable. I don't necessarily know if they re- represent LA the best. Um, the, the, the Usual Suspects is something that comes up just as, you know, it's the, the one of the few movies I, I can recall that shows the port, mm-hmm. that shows, you know, it's, it, you know, focus in, in San yeah, Pedro. The, isn't there a bit that takes place by the Korean friendship bell too? Like when they when they meet the yeah, fence, I so. like I, I had no idea where yeah. that was until like you know I, yeah yeah I heard about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's a it, you know it's just it's 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 a great movie that doesn't necessarily focus too hard on the fact that it's L.A. It just it's just it's it's there, and and I kind of appreciate that. Um, I really like Boys in the Hood, you know John Singleton's movie. Um, really kind of you know just helps show a window into a side of L.A. that you wouldn't that I would not have normally seen, but I, it was a side that I had heard about through all the music that, that was popular So to actually see it. Um, you know, I think, I think it's a, it's a, it's a pretty important film and good. And then the other one, I, I this is more on the fun side, speed. Yes. Um, <laughs> speed. Yeah. You know, it, there's something about, you know, I, you know, I, I think it's just a dumb action movie, but they are making some kind of a commentary on the public transportation system Absolutely. in LA. Yes. You know, and of just um they're they're building a freeway. It's not completed. I think it, it, at the time it was 105. Yes, the 105. They um they're on a bus. There are people that are on the bus, you know, that you you know, it's like a, a You got a, a cross time. section of, yeah. of different people. Yeah. And then of course then it ends with the subway system, which is being built, you know, which is, and, and then, and then of course, Dennis Hopper's head gets uh, <laughs> ripped off at the end. Yeah. That great uh, punchline. He's like, Oh yeah. Well, I'm taller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And, yeah. And that in of itself is, yeah. Speaks to LA, you know, it's like, you know, um, man. Yeah. I completely forgot about speed. Like, thanks for reminding me. Yeah. I mean, speed is so much fun. 
as much yeah. as like yeah it covers a lot of cliches a lot of the bus riders are kind of caricatures, caricatures you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure <laughs> yeah i mean the, the tourist uh played by alan ruck who's yeah. like oh we're going to the airport i just came from the airport yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All those bits are just incredible. And like, mm-hmm. you know, again, it taps into that thing with the the, the essay in, in Los Angeles plays itself where, you know, Sandra Bullock is this character who's like, it, it, it compares like not having a car to being like castrated, you know? So yep. like she's had her, her license suspended for speeding, and, yep. <laughs> you know, and she has to take the bus, you know, with yeah. the common folk. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny, and in a way that kind of ties back to Chinatown, where Jack Nicholson's character is sort of castrated, you know, in a way right. by yeah, yeah. By, ha- by having his car shot out, and so he has to ask everyone else for a ride, and yeah, and, then the, and the movie obviously spends a lot of time on that, right? But yeah, so um, I guess the other question is, uh, you know, as we start to head towards the, the finish here, what are your favorite L.A. songs? Yes. Um, yeah. And this was a, a tough one for me uh, to really mm. uh, think about because um, uh, I guess they, uh, I, I wanted like songs that captured a sense of place, you know, like actually referred to certain places and then also people, you know, and like uh, the the perspective of like traveling through the city, you know. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll it's not really in any order but like i i'd start with anima the title track from uh, tools album from 1996 which basically curses out everything that's la <laughs> and um it hints at like a, a bill hicks bit which basically is like this idea that you know la should get flooded and become arizona bay yeah. <laughs> um, but the, there's actually a bridge in the song where, because um, this song is basically the anti under the bridge, um, you know, no pun yeah. intended, you know, where um, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers talks about like, um, you know, how sad it is to be in the city, but like there's still a love there, um, yeah. you know, but um, but uh, Anima is basically like, fuck all of that shit, like, fuck. You know, yoga, fuck Elron Hubbard, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, fuck your tattoos, like all of that shit. Like it, it it goes like that. But then when it hits the bridge, it says, like, you know, don't just call me pessimist. I don't know why you wouldn't welcome any change, my friend. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. how the, the lyrics go. So, you know, it's just like, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I think there's a complacency about living in LA. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think that collateral actually taps into that too like when um when tom cruise's character vincent asks jamie fox's character max like you know um uh like uh, is this like a part-time thing like yeah this is part-time you know it's like how well how long have you been doing it it's like 12 years you know and that, that that that's the thing you lose your sense of time and then you just kind of are stuck in this loop and you know there's so many people with hopes and dreams that come to the city and then you know before you know it you're in your 40s and you're still not an actor you know sure. you're not an established actor or stand up comedian or all these things so yeah anima is that i think the song really captures that uh second is los angeles by haim to tie into licorice oh, yeah. pizza oh, yeah nice. yeah it's the lead off um song from uh from their most recent album women in music part 3 and the beauty of this song is like it sounds very sweet and like it's got like a chill like guitar it's got sax in it it, you know but the song is actually about like um kind of getting over la and like you know saying that you know i can't defend you anymore like you know there's 
um, uh, you know, like the love affair is is over, you know, <laughs> yeah. with the city, you know, and um, it, it's just such a beautiful song. Um, and uh, yeah, Danielle uh, Heim, like her 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 lyrics are just yeah, it's really yeah. poignant, you know, and it, it is from a perspective of somebody who grew up here and you know has experienced yeah. it and like has gone through those cycles of like eventually it's like maybe it's time for me to leave, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then number one is the LA song by uh, People Under the Stairs, uh, which, you know, this is actually how I heard about the Korean um, friendship bell <laughs> tying oh. into um, uh, the usual suspects. Like, because, yeah, it talks about, like, um, high visibility in San Pedro, seeing the the Korean um, uh, friendship bell and um, Catalina Island, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, like, so specific. Like, that's what's so beautiful about the song. It names certain places that you would only know if you've been there, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like... Uh, you know, we've been talking about locations all throughout the episode, and the movie does too. But like, yeah, it really hits different if you know these places and you've been there. You know, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. "L.A." song by People Under the Stairs is my number one "L.A." Right, song. Cool. <laughs> I'm happy that we have different lists, which is fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So my three, and th- th- this is not in any particular order because I actually listed five, but I think I'm just gonna so. But I would say my top three, number one um, is probably uh, Free Falling by Tom Petty. Just a classic moving to L.A. song, leaving behind, you know, your past life, your past, you know, in his case, I think his his sweetheart back home. Um, And then just kind of talking about the different areas growing, especially growing up in the valley. I, I, I was like seeing that song, knowing where Reseda is knowing where to Ventura Boulevard is. I was like, Oh, everyone knows these things. And it, it, it was one of those things where it's like, it, it's not in, in, until you're much older and you have some perspective, you kind of realize, Oh no, this is actually just a, um, you know, a really significant and, and it's kind of an oddity that uh, such a hit song is going to actually talk about the things that you know about growing up. Um, Los Angeles is burning by bad religion is another one of my favorite songs you know i, I you know I, i'm much more in the rock and punk rock sort of genre um it's as far as like my upbringing it and i remember when that song came out it was at a time when there was a ton of wildfires in the la area you know that all over the hollywood hills and so to hear that song being played i don't know how quickly they wrote that song and recorded it but it seemed like it was the same summer <laughs> you know like <laughs> like the hills were burning and then that song was on k-rock in like a month I remember just like, it was so perfect, you know? And then the last one, you know, it actually ties back to one of my favorite movies, the the song Boys in the Hood. So when, you know, that song, and obviously they, they've now made a, a movie called uh, Straight Outta Compton, I think is the name of the movie about NWA. But at the time when that song was breaking and I was just a young kid, you know, like I remember my friend Trent had it on a cassette tape and it was like, you know, you had to be real sneaky about playing it, you know, when your parents w- weren't around. And, but it was so catchy and so good. And obviously we didn't, you know, we're young kids. We're probably like eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there listening to Boys in the Hood and not really knowing what a lot of, you know, I didn't really know what an Alpine was. I didn't know really what a 5-0 uh, <laughs> 
you know, um, you know, a lot of the car culture stuff, a lot of just the crime culture stuff, a GTA, all these things. But it was just so fun to say it and then to kind of revisit it as you get older and to kind of realize what it is that they're talking about. And, and, and similar to the movie, you're getting a window into what it was like to live in that area in the mid 80s. And that's like so critical. And I, I think it, it ties into this movie also. It's like, that's what it's showing. It's showing what was it like in these areas in the 40s through now. And I think that's what Boys in the Hood, I think, was kind of at, at its best, you know. All right. Excellent. Man, yeah. Can't believe we got through that episode. Wow. Woo. That was crazy. This is fun. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. And um, I, I just like to say too for our audience, like this isn't the end of it. <laughs> We're gonna have more episodes that cover LA. Um, so this is gonna be an ongoing series. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more movies we want to discuss more in depth, and they'll probably get their own episodes. So yeah, stay tuned for that. All right. I guess uh, yeah. Is there any business to wrap up? Let's just hit um all the plugs. So the Twitter, which uh, is popping off thanks to your friend our friend jacob yes thank um, you jacob. it is it is at movie food pod yes anything else uh I, w- I would say too like dms are open or if you're oh, yeah. you know if you just want to like tweet us uh yeah go ahead like we'll respond um yeah. also um yeah i mean we want to keep this podcast free but obviously for us like we have to you know pay um hosting fees and all of that mm-hmm. um stuff and you know uh we've been considering like starting a patreon yeah so that should be up soon and um yeah once we have that up we appreciate the support you know uh, it's definitely going to help us like grow the the pod and you know make it bigger and better for you guys yeah. so yeah and to help it yeah to help it just keep going you know obviously. absolutely yeah all right yeah Okay, until then. All right, see you later. Mm-hmm.